0: back to, to Barry the Holy mackerel, what a run Barry be a on the kickoff, but the play is not reviewable. What up, though, One Pride? This is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where One Pride goes worldwide. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick. I'm joined this evening by Ryan McCluskey. It is a Wednesday evening, which can only mean one thing. We are back with the college football podcast. Nevada, say never again. Um, this is uh, we are continuing our preview of the group of five conferences in the run-up to the college football season, which Ryan is getting ever tantalizingly closer. You know, they say you can see that little light in the tunnel right at the end of it. It's not a train this time. It is week zero. It is approaching, it is coming in our direction and I don't know about you, but I cannot wait.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I always look forward to it more than I do NFL because I I just love college football and it's just the entertainment factor it has that I just think that professional football lacks. So, yeah, we're, we're, right, so we're under 50 days, let's like, say with college... Zero is on the horizon, and we're seeing all the media days and that now as well, so it it feels a lot more real.
0: It does, and and some of these media days have been classic so far. You had the, the Charlotte head coach basically telling the reporters to go themselves because they didn't want to ask any questions about his team because they weren't interested. And then, I don't know if you so saw today, but Marvin Harrison was doing his Ohio State day. The, the threads, he was wearing his Louis Vuitton suit, they get all dressed up and gussied up. And they they, they do they do go all out for these things, don't they? They, they are amusing in themselves, the media days.
1: Yeah. Uh, they really offer some insight into some of the psyches going into the new year. And, yeah, a lot of pieces and rankings have come out from a lot of, like, states and a lot of uh, the actual news and media outlets, which certainly adds a bit of spice to some of them as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and we'll be doing that soon. We'll be coming out with our teams, our players to watch this year, our predictions, all that. It's going to be coming very shortly, but yeah, these... These media days have been good. Let's say the polls are coming out, the player rankings are coming out. And by the way, if it's a quarterback ranking list and KJ Jefferson is not on the top ten, then strike it. It's rubbish. Don't waste your time reading the rest of it. Um, we're just going to go through all the um, all the housekeeping stuff first, very quickly, before we crack on this evening. So, Roar the UK Discord. If you want in, just let us know, um, and we'll send you across a link and in our discord at the minute we are about to start up the new college football pick watch season we did one last year me and Ryan a few of the guys in there we pick 10 fixtures every week we bet well we bet who's the winner's going to be and we see who has the uh, the, the most lucky guesses at the end of the season or as the winner might say, innate knowledge but no, it's more luck than skill but it's good fun, if you want to know that, let us know it is, uh, it is a good laugh the main podcast, this week we were talking about training camp um, the first couple of days all the interviews that have come out there and you know talking about some of the camp battles we're interested in seeing so if you haven't seen that already, please do go and check us out and also, if you like If you like watching tape, me and Matt have been doing the rookie review tapes over the last three weeks. This week it was all about um, Hendon Hooker, our new quarterback, and Brian Branch, our new safety nickel specialist hybrid. Um, It's good fun. Um, Go and check that out if you do wish to. And then this week we will be doing um, Sam Laporta and Jack Campbell. So you're going to be getting a whole load of Iowa highlights this week, which whilst not pretty will tell us a lot about our future draft picks and looking forward to that one don't forget to like and sub to everything twitch youtube all that good stuff we really appreciate you all lions nation unite we are a part of that venture from Herman Moore to bring the best of lions content creators together um they're about to drop some big news in regards to their media status with the team so keep an eye on that but it is thoroughly well deserved for them don't forget we are a, a twitch affiliate we're monetized on youtube so if you want to you want to back us in any way like that then we would really appreciate it but we just appreciate having you in the building. This is what we do it for. We do it for the love, not for the money. Right, let's say hello to anyone who's in the building today. Mike the Marine is in the building on Twitch. He goes, howdy, UK brothers. Awesome job, hey. We appreciate you, Mike. Hope you are doing well. X Lost Oceans is in there as well. He says, hey, gang. And we've got Ken Stauder, I've definitely seen in the YouTube chat. He uh, comes out with a great comment to start off. He says, gear we ho. I'm, I'm assuming that means to say here we go, but we appreciate you, Ken, for joining. Thanks ever so much. Lions, 1960, Brent is in the building. Oh, actually, he does bring up um, some news that's happened this week. Well, I guess we should quickly discuss this before we start on the conferences, but he goes, Jim Harbour, Harbour, suspended for four games against Cupcakes, doesn't really matter. So, yes, um, Michigan were getting investigated for... Recruiting violations recently. I mean, even I, who am like, I'm very stiff with my critique of Michigan, but even I know that it's completely bogus. But he told some fibs to the investigators when they were doing their thing and they didn't like it, so they've banned him for four games. The opening four games, which I mean, it's well, East Carolina, UNLV. Bowling Green and Rutgers at home, which I'm pretty sure me and Ryan could coach that Michigan side to victories over those. I mean, this this is the NCAA. I think this is them just getting petulant now, isn't it? This was all like just over giving them hamburgers and stuff like that. It's, this is a nothing thing. They've banned him for four games. It's not really going to matter. I guess the biggest question now, though, who's going to take over that team for the first four games? Because they've got a lot of guys on that staff who might be Head coaches in the making, you. But it's just a little power struggle emerge from this if they've got the team for four games.
1: I imagine they have a interim. Usually, they have like a vice head coach or someone that is takes over if Jim's never not available. And most teams have an official.
0: Yes. Interim head
1: coach, like when we had. Uh, oh, uh, mine's gone blank. The running back coach. He was literally the interim coach for Detroit Lions. Like, say uh, so it'd be second in command. So I imagine it's going to be either defensive or offensive coordinator. But yeah, it's it's kind of a nothing thing, and it like you said, they're they're literally going to roll up those four sides with Buddy Walt Disney in charge. Like it really does not matter. And actually, when they said like we're going to suspend you for four games, he probably thought, okay, that's fine. I accept that punishment. I'm Not going to argue it because he'll probably think that won't really affect have any effect on the season. So. Yeah, it, it, they have to appear like they're doing something but it's it's pretty weak whatever they've decided with the violations was so I can't see it having any real effect in the grand scheme of things
0: No, it, it is ridiculous that they can't buy a kid to the I, I agree that the NCAA just choose some weird hills to die on but when they've got investigations like the Arizona State one like Penn State which have been going on for years and years and years it's like well maybe focus on the actual stuff, like some real oh, violations. So when they
1: actually, committed them. Were they last year these offences, or were they many years ago? I, d-
0: I don't know. I I seem to remember it been. I th- I thought it was in the last couple of years it was done, but I, I I don't know. It's it's just they 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 choose some weird hills to die on. So anyhow, yeah, that's Harbaugh suspended for four games, but. They're going 4-0. They're probably going to win by about a combined score of 160-20. to So it's not going to affect them going forward. He'll be back for when the season really gets going. Right, let us dive down into the main part of the evening. Um, so we're here again to talk about our conference previews. We have done the Sun Belt. We have done the FBS Independence. We have done the CUSA. And now we're moving on to one of our favourite conferences, which has fallen on hard times recently, but we're going up into the mountains to the Mountain West Conference. Right? Um, I remember very very clearly doing this one last year, and um, we like the Mountain West. You get some really cracking good players coming out of the Mountain West. It's where those... Those bru- the bruises are built. This is where you've got to be rough, you've got to be tough, you've got to hit like a freight train to survive in this conference. But um, it's fallen on hard times in recent years and it's, it, it, it wasn't great the last time we checked in with the teams there.
1: No, a lot of these teams are used to appearing in the top 25, but they kind of struggled in the last few seasons. Like us say their most notable outfit had a resurgence last year but before that had a couple of tough years and there's been an awful lot of talent lost this season so it's it's going to be an interesting year i've always enjoyed watching it it's it's tough let's say they play a lot of altitude let's say they're in the the cold a lot of cold states a lot of cold football being played here so yeah it's fun to watch because it's also had multiple different winners in the last few years which a lot of conferences can't boast you can name a quite, a hand, quite a few sides that in the last 5-10 years have won this or have at least been in contention for winning it.
0: Yeah, this is this is not a conference where many back-to-backs happen. I think the last time it happened was 2016-2017 when San Diego State did it, but you know, reigns are usually short-lived here because you know there's always someone waiting to kick your ass and take the mountain throne. So, we're going to have a little look about how the conference is looking this season. Um, so there are 12 teams. So it was founded in 1998. The current champions, Fresno State, got their title back after a few years last season. So the current teams in there, Air Force. Boise State, they are the Mountain Division winners. Uh, Colorado State, Fresno State, they are the Western Division winners and they are the Mountain West champions. Then you've got Hawaii, Nevada, New Mexico, San Diego State, San Jose State, UNLV, which is the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And then you've got Utah State and Wyoming. Just like we did with the Sun Belt, we're going to do this in two shows because 12 teams, breakdown, it takes a lot of time, we put a lot of work and effort into these, so we wanna give each team their time to shine. So we're gonna do the first six today, Air Force, Boise State, Colorado State, Fresno State, Hawaii, and Nevada. In terms of conference realignment, all that stuff, um, nothing has changed this year. They've actually been pretty good in the last few years in terms of not having team turnover. and this year they're one of the conferences that have scrapped their divisions so no more mountain division no more western division it's just going to be the top two teams facing off face to face and to be fair right this this may inspire competition again in the conference they say it's waned a bit in recent years but you're going to be putting the big guns all together now so that's going to drive competition with them and and then all those guys in the middle tiers and below, you're going to have a chance to win games and sort of elevate your programme. I, I like that I like that the Mountain West has, uh, has scrapped their division structure this year.
1: Yeah, I think having one conference is always better. It'll come down to winning percentage, like I say, and the division matches or the, division, the conference matches will literally be do or die because a lot of these teams finish with similar records in the last few years and have probably felt really look unlucky to just miss out on a title game so this year you could you could realistically get three or four eight nine ten win teams and then you're really going down to fine margins Tiebreakers will take play a part and it, it's it's just it's just fun i i i pray for the day that every conference gets rid of divisions and you have the best two teams I don't care if they're two teams that would have been in the West every single year. That doesn't bother me. I say it's when it comes down to purely winning percentage and conference records, and you kind of just disregard out of conference games. That is who the two teams should be in the division. And this is going to be so hotly contested. There's not much, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of movement to join it. Also, there isn't any real push to leave it. Like I say right now, there's it's kind of stabilised because the Pac-12 are stabilised. The Pac-12 shaking up would probably directly affect the West because there are teams here that would realistically be able to join there and vice versa. But yeah, I can't see any time soon this being disbanded.
0: No, no. Pretty stable in terms of how the teams go, which is good because it creates a lot of uh, matchups that have just been going for a long time now. In terms of sort of geography, for any of our British listeners who are maybe unfamiliar with the Mountain West, you're focusing down here on the uh, the southwestern side of America. So obviously you've got San Diego State, they're based just south of Los Angeles. Then you travel all the way out east into New Mexico for the Lobos there. Then you go up north into Colorado where you've got Air Force and Colorado State, the Rams. Further north over the border into Wyoming where you've got the Cowboys. Then you come back west again and then you go into Utah, Utah State. Go up into Idaho, you've got the Boise State Broncos there. And then you sort of come back down that western coastline again. You've got Nevada, you've got. Um, san jose state and then you've got the fresno bulldogs sort of all out in that san francisco region of that coastline there and then you've got unlv who were sort of central in the nevada there so that's the sort of area you're looking at for the mountain west right let's go down into the teams and first one on our docket today is the air force force Falcons are established in 1955. They play at the Falcon Stadium. The 2021 record was 10 and 3. They were 6 and 2 in the Mountain West. 2022, the record 10 and 3, although they slipped slightly with a 5 and 3 record in the Mountain West. But coming off back-to-back 10 win seasons, the rivalry obviously with Army and Navy, the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy, the service teams, you've got all that there, and then you've got... um, Rivalries with Colorado and Colorado State. Those are in-state rivalries there. The coach, Troy Calhoun. This is his 17th season. He is an offensively-minded coach. He was a mixture of quarterback coach and offensive coordinator at Ohio and Wake Forest. Um, He's got NFL experience as offensive coordinator and quarterback coach with the Houston Texans. He was an assistant at the Denver Broncos as well, before joining Air Force in his first head coach gig, and he's been there nearly two decades. He has been a model of consistent success for a service team. He has 11 winning seasons in his 16 so far. Only one of the five losing seasons was really a blowout season. The rest are nearly 500, so always consistently good, this team. At the minute... They're on a high. Three of the last four seasons have yielded double-digit wins, and the one that didn't was the COVID-shortened year. So that doesn't really count. He's only got one conference title to his name, and technically they shared one in 2021, but he's got a 7-5 bowl record as well. They might not get the conference or title wins, but they are incredibly hard to beat. They are a consistently better-than-average side, which speaks to how he develops his players as... The talent pool for service teams is tiny compared to their conference rivals. Their roster strength is usually ranked low in the hundreds um, out of the 131 now 133 teams there. Yet they still find a way to carry on winning. We we like the Air Force Falcons, right? They are a good team with a good coach. It's you know he consistently is successful with them. Just that little. You know, a bit of magic dust on the top is just a few more titles, a few more championships. But you know, you look at them on the schedule and you never want to play them.
1: No, you know what to expect. It's it's run downhill, north and south, smash mouth football. And it it it's weird because you look at them, you think, wow, they are perennially underachieved. And in conference, they have they they've underachieved massively. They should have won. At potentially, like just go back the last two seasons. They should have been in championship games. But in conference, they always find a way to let themselves down. Out of conference, yeah, they can be an absolute juggernaut. And I'd say they're probably the most consistent of all three of the service academies because Navy are wildly consistent. And Army, I've got a blueprint, but it doesn't always yield results. So I can say that probably the more productive of the three teams and it, it does show like say he's a very long term head coach. They've, they 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 don't try too much or to try to be too expansive. They know what they're good at and they know what they're not so good at. And Troy Calhoun will never be the guy to make them a passing team. That's never been in his ethos. He's had like a Zeke Daniels, like a quarterback that can pass. Still didn't throw it too much in the last few seasons, even when he had him it just—it's just not his mold, and he won't be able to break it because he's old-fashioned like that. Bit stubborn, bit set in the ways. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that's probably been what you can use to sum up most of his tenure so far.
0: Yeah, no, it's just—it's like, just been a model of consistent success. And you know, service teams could soon go into a rut, but each year he finds a way to make the triple option work, and teams just cannot deal with it shout out to everything King and Death fan man who are in the building hope you are all well thanks for joining us Um, so in terms of the Air Force season last year so the 2022 record the wins at home to Northern Iowa Colorado Nevada Navy at UNLV then versus Army New Mexico and Colorado State at home at San Diego State and versus Baylor in their bowl game the losses came at wyoming at utah state versus boise state so two power five scalps for them last year the stats for the team on total offense they were 59th they had 397.2 yards per game total defense they were the first ranked defense in the nation on total defense they only gave up 254 4.4 Point four yards per game the scoring offense was 69th just under 28 points per game their scoring defense was third in the nation they only gave up 13.3 points per game on average their rushing offense you will not be surprised to know first in the nation best rushing attack of anybody 326.7 yards per game 37 touchdowns 5.3 yards per carry the Russian defense was sixth in the nation. Only gave up 95.3 yards per game, just 10 touchdowns, and only allowed 3.4 yards per carry. Um, in terms of minutes on the field per game, their their offense was out there for 36 and a half minutes per game, as opposed to the as to the opposing team, who's 23 and a half. They kill you with the run and they kill the clock. Death by clock management. The passing offense you will not be surprised to know, is 131st dead last in the nation. 70.5 yards per game, less than the other service teams who didn't have as good quarterbacks, weirdly enough, with eight touchdowns. But their passing defense, second in the nation, only gave up 160 yards per game and 10 touchdowns. In team sacks, they were 92nd with just 24, and tackles for loss, they were 86th with just 68, so not much pass rush. But in sacks allowed, they were seventh with 12 which kind of a misnomer because they don't pass it much but tackles for loss allowed they were sixth in the nation with only 49 allowed which for a team who runs the ball all the time is thoroughly impressive and turnover margin they were 49th they gained 16 turnovers they lost 13 turnovers i mean you had the best running attack in the nation one of the best defenses in the nation double digit wins it's not hard to see why they're consistently this Good and the defense has been good for years now. They run the ball really well, and, and that's how he wins—death by clock management.
1: Yeah, it it, it is a brand. It's a, it's a niche market that is not for a lot of people. On the eye, it's certainly not pretty at times, but it, it sure is effective. Like I say he's had quarterbacks, but does he decide to throw the ball? Nope. Like he just doesn't see the need to, unless unless they can catch a team out. They will just not throw the ball. Their receivers and their tight ends are purely there to block. And they know their job. And they do it like their life depends on it. They block downhill. And they get big chunk yards. And they dominate line of scrimmage and control the uh, time of possession. And yep, yeah, that, that has yielded a couple of hundred wins in the last 16, 17 years. And until the day he dies, that is how he will operate this system. I said that times have changed and football has changed, but they're still finding a way to get it done, even playing medieval-style football.
0: Yeah, and you know, it just it speaks to it. It's a skill in itself to carry on to be able to make it work. You know, people know that you're running the football. And you, your offensive line is one of the best in the country in the run game. Your running attack is the best one in the country, and your defense is good in both skills. It, it's odd because when you have a team who doesn't really throw it very much and is up against high-level quarterbacks, to have a top-notch passing defense as well just goes to show what sort of a system they have there. It's it's elite coaching to deal with to deal with this. So. It was it was a great season for them. It's just like in conference, Boise State, Utah State on the road. Wyoming at home. The better teams, the better teams just find a way. When you're on the road against a team that can stop what you are dominantly good at, when you can't call on that Plan B, that's that's just a little bit that holds them down there, isn't it? And 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 that you know, it's always just going to happen that way. I think that's why it's always going to hold them back. There will always be the one team who's good enough to to repel them
1: yeah they're they're the definition of a one-dimensional team Mm. and if if it don't work or don't get stopped it's game over and yeah until they find a way to win through the air they'll never win the mountain west
0: No, and you've seen the Army, when we talked about them, they're trying to make the transition to more of a passing game with their triple option. We'll see whether Air Force do it, but, like I say, it's been a good season for them last year, so we'll take a look at next season in a minute. Ken Stadler goes, Calhoun, wasn't he the guy associated with an interview at Colorado? Has the NFL ever called on him? He was courted by Colorado. I remember that much. They were really big on him before, I think, Dion got involved, and then, you know, it was just never going to happen. As soon as Dion... You know, add interest in going there, uh, then it was over. But Air Force did beat Colorado last year. That was, you know, group of five, power five upset. So there's no wonder they were high on him. And uh, I seem to remember it was a pretty, pretty good win as well for Air Force. That was. So I don't know if the NFL's ever called him, but certainly Colorado were knocking at the door. And maybe he has another 10 win season. He keeps it going. Maybe a power five team will come calling sooner rather than later. But his style may, may not suit that. Anyhow. Next season coming up, the quarterback this year is going to be Jensen Jones. He is 6'2, 210 pounds. He is entering his fourth year with the Falcons, but this will be his first as starter as he replaces, as Ryan mentioned, previous incumbent Hazik Daniels, who is looking for a spot on a roster in the NFL. I mean, QB is a moot position as far as throwing goes in the Falcons offense, but he's been around long enough to know how to properly run the triple option. He's been used as a rotational runner last season, so he knows the assignment. He knows his job. He should be just fine. How much they ask him to throw, we don't know. Not likely to be much, but they've got their in-house guy to uh, carry on the work at quarterback. In terms of the season itself, so like you said, the Falcons have been in and around the top of the Mountain West the last couple of seasons, but they've just always fallen short. Now it's a single conference, and it's going to be harder to get there where are they going to sort of shake out are they going to be able to fight their way to the top or are they going to start to slide now that the competition levels get even higher so on offense they've lost star running back brad roberts he was the leading rusher in the entire nation last season had over 1700 yards on the ground and overall they've lost five of their top six rushes from last year but i mean Service academies are usually a conveyor belt of rushing talent, so it shouldn't be too big an issue for them. And the guy they do return is John Lee Eldridge III. He ran for 771 yards, an average of 7.9 yards per carry. So you've got your heir apparent to Brad Roberts there. You just need to establish the depth behind him and, and more importantly for this team they're returning four or five starters on the offensive line that powered the nation's number one Russian attack only the right guard Isaac Cochran has departed he's trialling with the Denver Broncos the last I saw so it was eligibility not a transfer out Um, so I say the starting quarterback is gone the top two wide receivers are gone from last year but <laughs> that doesn't really matter they didn't really get that many yards anyhow so in the scheme of things Air Force are strong where they need to be on offense. They've got the offensive line, they've got the star running back, they've got the weapons they need to do exactly what they do best. And in even better news for them, the nation's number one ranked defense in total defense it's returning 74% of its production from last year, so you're bringing back a lot of starters and depth pieces. The defensive line and its run defense is fronted by the defensive tackle Peyton Zedroik. He had Half a dozen sacks and double digit tackles for loss last season from the interior. They do need to find some bona fide pass rush. That was getting to the quarterback was the biggest problem on this defense last year. Probably one of the only problems um, they had. So they need to find an edge rusher. Alec Mock leads the linebacker core. It's lost a few guys due to eligibility um but he's he's the leader in there. They've got their main guy and they do have a group of talented new faces behind him. Secondary does need to take a step forward against the pass a little bit in terms of getting takeaways. Not in terms of defending the pass, but they've got a pair of very highly talented safeties, Trey Taylor and Camby Goff. They paired up for five interceptions, 14 passes defended, over 110 total tackles. And overall, every single starter on the secondary from last year is back. So this defence is in an incredibly healthy position going into the season. I you kind of look and listen to it all right. It's they are primed to go again like they are the last two years. They will win seven, eight, nine, ten games, and they will be a team that just no one wants to face on their schedule. They're that type of team where you see them on the fixture list and you're like, I don't I don't want it on, I don't want none of them. They they're in a good position going into the year.
1: I am not sure. Eldridge, let like I say Brad Roberts was the only reason they've been competitive, I'd say, for the last two or three years. He was able week in, week out, to take the ball twenty, thirty times and just carry them on his back. I'm not convinced this backup has got that in him. I think he'll he's gonna get like probably two or three hundred touches, but can he go for sixteen, seventeen hundred yards? when he's taking such a big workload. I'm not sure, I think I'm gonna to have to see it first. I think they will take a step back this year. I still think the defense should be formidable, but they've got to work on getting to the quarterback. Like you said, they were really bad at finishing players last year, and in general sacked. So that they do need to step up on the defensive line. They can be stout against running in the middle, but when they get chances, they have to get the quarterback off the field. So. Yeah, I still think they'll be competitive. I don't think they'll be as close as they were last year. Like I, said, I still think they're lacking that true plan B to get over like being the, the Fresnos and the Voices. But yeah, they should comfortably go bowling. Seven, eight, nine wins. They'll, ju- they'll, they'll just stay consistent, as Troy's always got them. But I think it'll be a very big ask to be in contention for the title game. But... If they're not gonna do it now, they they might never do it. Like you say, Troy's time is coming to an end. You can feel it. I, I personally, Power Five, I wouldn't hire him. Like I said, I don't like the brand of football. But I can see like an offensive coordinator, or a running backs coach, a big power five programme might bring him in as an assistant. But yeah, I feel like he's gonna move on eventually. Like nearly no, seventeen years. And I'm pretty sure he's not a spring chicken, is he? He's in his sixties, isn't he? I think it's something like that.
0: I usually have the age of the guys on here. Um, did I feel really it barely. Oh, I've not got... It? I, I, don't, no, I don't know, uh, I don't know. I feel like you might be right, though. He's had 20 years on one team, so I think it's going to be... It's It'll be, be
1: interesting to be- see like, how they do against teams they don't usually play, because they're now going to have a mixture of both sides of the uh, Mountain West to play.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, so we'll talk about the schedule now. So, yeah, I think the floor for this team is bowling. I think, I think they're going to go bowling regardless of the ceiling... To be decided. Could could be in the championship game, but a lot has to go right for them. So they don't play week zero. Then you start at home to Robert Morris. Then you're on the road to Sam Houston, who just come up to the FBS. Then you're at home to Utah State. You're away to Han- San Jose State. Then you're at home to San Diego State. Then you get a bye at, at week six, which is pretty decent. Then you're at home to Wyoming. Uh, then you play Navy in Denver at Mile High. You're away at Colorado State. Then you play Army at Mile High in Denver. Then you're away to Hawaii at home to UNLV and and away to Boise State. I mean, the schedule sets so up. You look at the away slate for them this year. Sam Houston, who are a brand-new FBS team. San Jose State, who were good but not great. Colorado State, who are rebuilding from the bottom, as are Hawaii. Then you've got that final week against Boise State. That could be a... That could be a decider. I mean, that that is a, an eminently winnable schedule there for them if they uh, if they come out firing this year.
1: Yeah, the, the the games before the bye. If they lose like two or more of those conference games, like it's it's good it's good night Vienna. Like I say, conference games have been their kryptonite for the last few years, and they get three of them before the bye. So they really have to go through that at least unbeaten or like one loss minimum. And then two trips to Denver. That is, that's not easy. Playing, in, there'll be a big crowd as well. So I feel like those those three those that little mini tournament could have a really big impact on their season.
0: Yeah, and you have got Colorado State sandwiched in between. So I know they play in Colorado themselves, but yeah, it's three trips into the highest mountains there. So yeah, it's going to be a test of their credentials. But the schedule is. It, it is open for them. It's not something that could potentially crush their season. So, interesting there. Um, Ken Stouter just goes, Thunderstorm, emergency 80mph wind in my area. Power may go out. Stay safe, Ken. Hope you're well and hope you're able to stay with us while we're uh, continuing to talk about the Mountain West. But yeah, stay stay safe in that weather there, my friend. Um, The player to watch this year mentioned it briefly. Got the safety, can be goth. He is 6'1", 205 pounds, no relation to Jared. The Falcon Safety Room is probably the best in the Mountain West, the two of them there. Goff is a huge part of that. He's a ball hawk. He had three picks, seven passes defended last season. He gave up a measly 15 catches on 35 targets, which is uh, sub-43% as well as providing him run support as well and he even chipped him with a pair of sacks so he comes up and rushes the passer as well. If he can keep up forcing the turnovers this season this this, Fal- this Falcons defence is going to be really good and it's built around players like him so can be Goff, the safety at Air Force, the guy to watch this year. Right, let us move it on to the Boise State Broncos. Favourite of ours last year, JL Skinner, the truck the truck like safety this is boise state are a nasty team in a good way so they were established 1933 they play at albertson stadium the 2021 record was 7 and 5 they were 5 and 3 in the mountain west 2024 record they went 10 and 4 and they swept their conference schedule they were 8 and 0 oh against Mountain West teams last season and as I said they won the Mountain division in there before falling to Fresno State in the championship game. The rivalries weirdly enough with Fresno State who they lost the Mountain West title to they play for the milk can which is yes literally a trophy that is a milk can, it's a tall cylindrical container for the transportation of milk they they play for one of those um, they're They come from dairy farming states and uh, it was decided that they would play for a dairy-based trophy. Um, They have a dormant rivalry with Idaho and they have a rivalry with Nevada as well. Coach here, Andy Avalos. It's his third season. He is 41 years old. He is a defensively minded coach. He was a six-year coach at Boise State to start off with. Started with the defensive line and then moved on to linebackers and then to defensive coordinator. This guy has trained up NFL talents like DeMarcus Lawrence and Leighton Van Der Esch in his time there. And his units always rank high nationally. Oregon came calling for him. He moved over there to be D.C. for one year in which he took the 49th-ranked defense in the nation and turned them into the ninth-ranked defense in just one season. He was the guy who was responsible for getting the commitment from Kayvon Thibodeau for that team. But Boise State come calling just 12 months later. They were looking for a new head coach, and he returned back to the team where he learned the trade to take the job there. His first year saw them go 7-5, as I mentioned. His defense ranked 45th in the nation in total defense last year. But last year saw big improvement. Like I say, they got up to double-digit wins, walloped everything in front of them in terms of the Mountain West as they went 8-0 in conference. They got themselves a bowl win as well. And this came off the back of him firing his offensive coordinator after four games when they lost to UTEP and put up just 10 points. But thankfully for them, they had former Tampa Bay Bucks head coach Dirk Cutter on staff as as an offensive analyst. He came in as OC and got it working right. The only blemish is that they fell in the Mountain West Championship game at home to Fresno State, who they had destroyed in the regular season game at home as well. And Avalos' defence last year? Ranked 7th in the nation in total defence. Right, this guy is a defensive guru and Boise State have produced some incredible talent the last few years with him there. It's what his team is known for it's the strength of this team and they had a wonderful year last year they just they just froze in that last game where the lights were at their brightest they they did so 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 well they got 50 yards from the peak and then they they it just all fell apart
1: yeah they should have won the title game fresno state i watched it they weren't even that good they just they just flopped and it was it was not great being Gone through a transition because, like when they were their long-term head coach, when they were a powerhouse, the Coleman, they were an offset offensive juggernaut, and they scored heavily. They put teams to the sword, and then he left, and that's that's dried up, points have dried up. They've struggled at quarterback. Like I said, they got better last season when Hank my by actually left. They, they they got better when he went because in that seven and five season, he had his struggles. Uh, it's it's been a difficult for them because if you go back, I think it's like 22,000 like 2014, they're like sixth in the entire nation in win percentage. Like They're up there like Alabamas and LSUs at like 0.867 win percentage since like 2000. So 23 years, they've been a complete powerhouse and dominant in college football. You can say that's because the, the Mountain West has somewhat been a bit of a cakewalk at times, which is correct, but they're a team that are used to winning. So when they went seven and five, yeah, that was bad. It looked rotten. They had some horrible losses and they were a lot of them were self inflicted. So last year, yeah, it it should have ended better, but it was a step in the right direction for a team that is a pretty well known household name. So now this is his team. I I expect them to get back to what they do West, and that is win titles.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was it was it was a, it would have been a great season for them if they'd have held on in that one game, but you want to see progress. Obviously, the progress this year, win the championship. You've come right to the top. You didn't quite make it. Now you've got to summit the whole thing this year. The the 2022 record, the wins came at New Mexico versus UT Martin versus San Diego State versus Fresno State in the regular season. They won away at Air Force, at home to Colorado State, on the road to Nevada and Wyoming, at home to Utah State, and then against North Texas in the bowl game. The losses came at Oregon State, at UTEP, which was the game that kind of, they blew it all up and turned it round, and then versus BYU, and then versus Fresno State in the Mountain West Championship game. The stats on the year, the total offense, they were 69th, weigh 386.7 yards per game total defence they were 7th 292.5 yards per game that's all they gave up the scoring offence was 58th they scored 29.5 points per game the scoring defence was 15th 19.5 points per game given up so they scored 10 more than they gave away on average per game the rushing offence was 29th in the nation so another good one 196.1 yards per game 27 touchdowns it's 4.99 yards per carry, but let's be generous and say 5 yards per carry. It sounds so much better. The Russian defence was 31st. They only gave up 124 yards per game, 16 touchdowns, and only allowed 3.5 yards mm-hmm. per carry. The passing offence was 111th, um, 190.6 yards per game, 20 touchdowns. Passing defence was 6th sixth, sixth in the nation. Only gave up 167 yards per game, only gave up 13 passing touchdowns Um, in sacks they were 72nd they only had 30 tackles for loss they were 64th with 81 sacks allowed they were 10th in the nation they only gave up 14 sacks all year and tackles for loss allowed they were 24th only gave up 62 on the year so the offensive line props to them turnover margin they were 52nd they gained 20 they lost 17 i mean just kind of Elite defense all over the board, as we know, and powered again. Another mainly by the rushing attack, but the passing game did just enough to make it versatile enough for them to put plenty of points down on the board.
1: Yeah, they're primarily a rush, a rushing team, because well, trusting the quarterback at times was not easy. And also, I was like to say, a lot of them did come from quarterback players, so they had to get it done on the ground because luckily they've got a very experienced running back. That they're going to rely on again this year. And yeah, the defense at times was stingy. So, yeah, when it when it mattered, they were able to clamp a team down and score points. So it was it was a good season. They'll wish it ended better, but yeah, it was definitely an upturn compared to their 2021, which, by all accounts, was pretty much disastrous.
0: Yeah, but there, there is a lot of reason for them to be optimistic, though. So you know team last year but looking ahead this is the year when they want to go and win the championship outright so the quarterback this year talon green now this is a name you need to keep an ear out for he is six foot six 220 pounds dude is huge he's starting his third season with the boise state broncos he took the starting job last year in his sophomore season After, as Ryan mentioned, Hank Backmire's form crumbled. It was a rotten start to the season. But overall, he did very well when settling in the team. He had over 60% passing completion... 2031 passing yards, 14 touchdowns, just six interceptions. But he is a bona fide dual threat as well. He went 610 yards, 10 touchdowns on the ground. Only fumbled the ball three times. This is his first year as a starter, and he was jettisoned in when things were going pear shaped. There is a ton of hype behind this guy. And I can see why. For me, he's already one of the better rushing quarterbacks in college football. Just in terms of of how he runs, the athletic ability, he has the force broken or missed tackles. I mean, his legs, his stride is huge. It's no reason, no wonder that he can break so many tackles. One more season of progression. For me, he could be one of the the G5's best quarterbacks by some distance. Um, It's a break from tradition for Boise as well. They're known... For their shorter pocket passing QBs, and they have for years, but they're embracing a new era now, right? They're going the way of the dual threat, but I've seen this guy, and I know the passing stats were not good last year, but, you know, Jettison Din as a starter. wasn't meant to be a starter. Backmire crumbled. He came into a dodgy situation, and he did really well. I really like the look of this guy.
1: Yeah, he should be the best quarterback in the Mountain West by somewhere this year. I'd be very. If he, if he isn't, something's gone wrong. And he's regressed but in a small sample size he looked pretty good yeah and he's got the capability to do it on the ground and through the air so they're pretty settled now this year they shouldn't really have any worries going into the year there's no camp battle i i I like the guy so they should be confident that they should start year with confidence knowing that they've got a starter that's now seen some actual playing time
0: yeah, absolutely. But you know, you've got your building block in place, that is the main thing. And that takes us on to the season preview for them. So Boise might well be the measuring stick of the Mountain West this season, and they say they will be desperate to avenge that Fresno State defeat last season. On offense, I think they've got a potential star at quarterback, but more importantly, he is backed up by a fierce running back duo in George Halani and Ashton Gianti Between the three of them. Between the two running backs and the quarterback, they had 2,700 rushing yards and 27 rushing touchdowns last season. It is a three-headed monster in terms of a run game. The offensive line did lose a couple of guys, most notably John Ajuku, who is now an undrafted free agent with the Tennessee Titans. But overall... The room has the depth and experience to replace the losses. They, they do rotate in a lot of guys there, so it's not too bad. Leading receiver Latrell Capels is back as the offense returns nigh on 80% of last year's production, so it's going to be an experienced offense ready to go. Like I said, the need for improvement comes in the passing game, but given they've got the settled quarterback this year, that should be naturally improve anyhow this offense could really be a juggernaut this season the elite defense of last year though has lost a lot they lost 55 you know there's less than 55% of the production coming back this year but Avalos has a very long history of consistently churning out defensive talent and great defenses which will Negate a lot of the worry from the departures. So, on the defensive line, Scott Matlock was drafted by the LA Chargers. George Tarlis is an undrafted free agent with the Raiders, but they have a core to build around. They've got the edge Dimitri Washington, who they're going to pair with um, a newly acquired transfer portal signing. Kevon wright from boston college he is a huge dude who's looking for an opportunity outside of the power five and you've got young emerging talent like herbert gums the defensive tackle to supplement the new look defensive line the team anchor at linebacker is dj Schram. this guy looks like a viking and he hits like one as well he's got one of the cleanest beards you will ever see in your life he led the team with 107 tackles, 11.5 tackles for loss and a forced fumble. He has lost his partner in crime, Ezekiel Noah, who is gone. But again, they've got experienced role players ready to make the step up to starter, likely to be Andrew Simpson. He had five tackles for loss and three sacks last year, so he's going to come into linebacker department there. The secondary has been gutted of its star talent, but again, the next crop is experienced and ready to go. Obviously, the safeties, J.L. Skinner and Tyreek Jones, they are both in the NFL with Denver and Tennessee, respectively. Mm -hmm. Cornerback Caleb Biggers is with the Cleveland Browns, and cornerback Tyreek LaBeouf is trialling with the Seahawks. Um, they've got a new leader at safety, though, Rodney Robinson, who is coming off a three-pick season. You've got Sey Oladipo, who's coming off a great sophomore season there. Um, the corners do have experience. There's not a ton of ta- starting experience there, so that may be the area where they're a little iffy to start off with. But overall, on both sides of the ball, you're stacked with talent, and you know that running back room alone is going to power them through a lot of games this season. They They are the team to beat this year, it feels like.
1: Yeah, they're going to score pretty heavily this year, I think. I think that defence last year was very tight. I think will be a lot looser this year. They, they will concede more points. Like I said, they've lost a lot of experienced leadership. But I, I think they're primed to score a lot more heavily as well. So hopefully they won't have to rely on close score lines. Like I said, it could be a, a contender for the Doug Walker Award when all is said and done. Like I said, he could have a really dominant year on the ground. He's gonna get a lot of carries. So yeah. I I want to see them be a lot more explosive this year and put teams away and not just like leave them hanging on and playing with their food like emphatically. I want to see them absolutely beat on some guys this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, they they they're up for some big tests early on. The schedule is not nice for them. The non-con they've gone with this year is very tough but hopefully it'll set them up for the conference games so they don't play week zero they start away at Washington power five opposition then they're at home to UCF uh, home to North Dakota then you're on the road to San Diego State and Memphis which is another one of your power five opponents you're at home to San Jose State away at Colorado State then you got a bye in week eight which is which is really good then you're at home to Wyoming you're away at Fresno State. That's the one you really got to win. You're at home to New Mexico, away at Utah State, and then you finish off at home to Air Force. I mean, it's it's a gauntlet, that non-com, but it'll set them up for this year, and they could. They could maybe upset Memphis. They could maybe upset Washington on a good day. Who knows?
1: Uh, with the new style, hopefully out of conference games, Walmart, if they handle business in conference and pick up humans, like UCF and Memphis, I think they should be trying to beat them. I reckon Washington, I reckon they'll get destroyed, if I honestly think. I think week one, they're going to get slapped about a bit. But I think UCF, Memphis, North Dakota, yeah, their teams, they, they should be trying to beat. And then after the bye, pretty much all conference schedule, that's probably where they really need to get hot i would probably go on, I'd say winning nearly. They probably have to win all of them. It, it's they're going to get some losses out of conference, so they have to make sure they realistically can't lose a conference game to want the title. Like nine and nine and three probably won't be good enough. So it, it's going to have to be a, a ten and two. And like they can't really have more than one loss out of schedule. So yeah, it, it, it's a rotten schedule. So. Whether that'll work in their favour or not, scheduling such a hard-out of conference, they might rule that decision come the end of the year.
0: Mm. I mean, it was that way last year. I mean, what, 10-4 overall, but you're 8-0 in conference. It might be something like that again you that you'll see this year. Then, yeah. yeah, you might have three or four losses on your bill, but you can still sweep the conference with three or four losses on there, so... Interesting times ahead for Boise State, but they have big aspirations this year. The player to watch this year, I've, I've gone for the other running back, so Ashton Giante, he's 5'8", 205 pounds now. All eyes will be on George Solani, who, as Ryan quite clearly said, can be a Doet Walker Award winner. He, he has a claim to be the rest running back in the G5, all told. He probably is. But this is likely going to be his last year in Boise. And Gianti is running back too. He's in his first season. Last year was his first season seeing big game time at Boise. He tallied up nearly 1,000 scrimmage yards, including over 800 on the ground. Going at over 5 yards per carry, and that's playing second fiddle to Halade. He runs hard, he runs smart, and he's got good receiving ability as well. He tallied 15 catches on 16 targets last year, just one drop. So good receiving ability there. The dual threat ability. We'll see him get plenty of snaps this season. Don't be surprised to see him break a thousand yards. He will start to take over the mantle from Halani a little bit this year. The ground game is critical to the way they play, and he is the future of the position for the team. So Ashton Giante is the guy to watch there. But yeah, George Halani is a wonderful running back as well. Let us move it on. So next we have the Colorado State Rams established. 1893 they play at the Canvas Stadium 2021 they were 3 and 9 2 and 6 in the Mountain West in 2022 they were 3 and 9 but then they were 3 and 5 in the Mountain West so one more one more win for them last season in the first year of their new head coach the rivalries obviously with Colorado that is the Rocky Mountain showdown Um, usually gets played at mile high in Denver to allow for greater capacity they play for the Centennial Cup Colorado dominate this rivalry 67-22 to 2 and they also play Wyoming in the border war as well that is a very fierce rivalry in itself just across border from one another and then they've got the in-state rivalry with Air Force as well. If you want to hear me talk about these more in depth, go back and look at the videos from last year because I did a lot more on the rivalries last season. Coach, familiar name to many, Jay Norvell. This is is going to be his second season. He is 60 years old. Offensively minded coach who has coached just about every position on offense apart from running backs in college. He has coached for Iowa, Northern Iowa, shout out to Lost Oceans who said, I'm a Northern Iowa grad in the uh, transfer, in the um, Twitch chat, sorry, repping the Northern Iowa guys there. Wisconsin, Iowa State, Nebraska, UCLA, Oklahoma, Texas, and Ryan's own Arizona State. And in the NFL, he was wide, rece- wide receiver coach at Indianapolis for three years, tight end coach with the Oakland Raiders for one Only had his first head coach gig in 2017 when he got the job with Nevada. He turned Nevada into a good program very quickly. He registered four winning seasons in five with two bowl wins, although he didn't translate it to conference championships. But then last year, he kind of shocked a lot of people and he transferred to a conference rival. He put it down to a a lack of support from Nevada in trying to establish a conference-winning side. But he also went from the worst paid head coach in the conference to the highest paid one, so go figure why he did it. He inherited a massive rebuilding job at Colorado State. They have not won more than seven games in a season since 2017. They formerly operated a run-heavy smash-mouth offense, which is completely at odds with Norville's explosive pass-heavy philosophy. Uh, year one was rough they may have won three games but it was kind of picking off conference cannon fodder and they and get this they did not score above 20 points on offense in any game last season Um, (laughs) this was one of the big rebuild jobs we talked about last year there's quite a few in the Mountain West but Novell to Colorado State he's He's getting paid more, but this is a massive job he's taken on. And year one kind of showed the scale of that task that he has there. Calm
1: as a bitch, is it? Like I said, he decided to jump ship, take half the players, and he still sucked. And I've got no sympathy for him. He went chasing the money, and he's joined a team that is probably just as bad. So, yeah, it didn't go well for him. I don't think he's going to have any success at the Rams. but yeah, he took like Nevada's the best of the worst and he didn't really get him anywhere. So I don't know where this team's going for this year. I feel like this is a really big year for him. They'll work out really if they've made a mistake quickly and cut their losses. Because as you say, he's earning a packet now. And if he's not going to make an impact and help turn them around, well, they're not going to keep him around long. So, this is this is a crucial year for him.
0: Yeah, it was it was never going to be easy last year. But like you said, he he rinsed Nevada of their time, and and Nevada had been rinsed by the draft. You think of all the players they had drafted last year as well. You know, your Carson Strong, you know, um, tight end they had there. You know, they they had so many guys, at Colturda, and then they lost half. They, they lost like all the new guys they've been prepping to start in their first team just suddenly wandered off with him to Colorado State. But yeah, it was a tough year. The 2022 record, the wins. The win came at Nevada. So he got his revenge on them at Nevada. They won at home to Hawaii and at home to New Mexico. So the literal definition of the the, the conference cannon fodder, they won. The losses at Michigan versus Middle Tennessee at Washington State... Versus Sacramento State, that is a home defeat to FCS opposition, although Sac State were very good last year. Versus Utah State at Boise, at San Jose State, versus Wyoming and at Air Force. The stats for the team, total offense, they were 126th out of 131. They only had 285 yards per game. Total defense, however, they were 42nd which was surprising, only gave up 355 yards per game the scoring offence was even worse it was 129th in the nation, they only scored 13.2 points per game I believe it's only UMass and New Mexico who were worse than them, the scoring defence was 70th they gave up 27 points per game so they might not have given up much yardage but they gave up a lot of points, the rushing offence 127th 89 yards per game uh, four touchdowns so just four rushing touchdowns all season that was the worst in the FBS and just 2.77 yards per carry, that's insane the Russian defense was 84th, 163.6 yards per game, 24 touchdowns, 4 yards per carry 4.15 yards per carry the passing offense, not much better 106th, less than 197 yards per game, just 12 passing touchdowns, passing defense though was good, it was 19th 191.4 yards per game, 15 touchdowns. In sacks, they were 81st. They only had 24 tackles for loss. They were 74th with just 66. Sacks allowed. They were 131st, dead last in the nation. They let their quarterback get sacked 59 times. The tackles for loss allowed, also 131st in the nation. They allowed 110 tackles for loss last season and then turnover margin to finish it off they were one hundred 15 turnovers gained 20 turnovers lost I mean outside of some individually really good defensive performances there I mean that's that's rough I mean they, they got killed at home by Sac State FCS opposition and the offense just did nothing last year
1: no uh, this team is bad that offense is dreadful. They they have absolutely no game plan. Right, and for someone that's been an offensive coordinator, like I said, and done all the positions and that, he couldn't get anything going. QB consistently hung out to dry. Like I say, literally just a sacrificial lamb. And even when he got protection, couldn't get anything done. Like I said, they they didn't get any outage. They scored hardly any points. They the the rushing stats are a joke at less than three yards a carry across the entire season, that that's bad. Yeah, that, that offence is going nowhere quickly. And yeah, some beacons of hope, some players that actually redeem themselves of defence, but as an overall unit, st- still struggled. But I say, they were so always, every time they were on the field, they were so far behind on playing catch-up because the offence would give the ball away or wouldn't score any points that they were fighting a losing battle. So it's a team that is fighting against itself. So I don't know which one you fix first, but yeah, the offense, just 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 keeping hold of the ball and time of possession that you've got to learn to protect the quarterback.
0: Exactly, and and this is the craziest thing amongst them all. The quarterback was actually good last year, and 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 he was just like you said, hung out to dry, and how he is still alive, I don't know. So looking ahead to next year, because things can only get better, maybe. The quarterback is Clay Millen. He is 6'3", 210 pounds. This is his second year at Colorado State. As I said, the fact that he is still alive is a win in itself. Millen was one of the many transfer players who came over from Nevada with Norvell, but, I mean, there must be a little part of him that must wish he hadn't after the tanking that he took last year. And, And as I said, the astonishing thing is he actually had a decent season get this right, he threw 72% completion on the year. 72%. I mean, there are quarterbacks who get touched less than Aston Villa's trophy cabinet, who could only dream of completion numbers like that. He threw for 1,909 yards, 10 touchdowns, and 6 picks. He had 312 yards on the ground with no scores, uh, but he did fumble it eight times, but seven of those came in the first three weeks, so it was an issue that, that greatly cleared up as the season went on. But, I mean, to, to, to be sacked 60 times in a year and to still be able to get up and complete 72% of your passes, it's just like, give the poor guy some help. It was his first year as a starter as well. I mean... He, They've got a good quarterback, but they need to use him and they need to protect him.
1: Yeah, it feels like he's fighting a losing battle and it don't help that he had the worst ground game in the nation. Like, how is a quarterback supposed to operate when a team literally doesn't have to put anyone in the box and they can just sit back with six defensive backs? Like, <laughs> You're never going to win games when you don't have a ground game that's been respected. The quarterback just does not stand a chance so unless they cut those sacks down by at least 20 the pollard's going to be in for another rough year so yeah he needs a run game like so if there isn't no run game they will not win more than three games again game this year
0: no he needs a run game and he needs an offensive line and that leads us on to the season preview so as i said novel did come into a dire situation whether the sympathy is there with him or not not so much here but hey ho He was well within reason to dynamite the programme last year, but now that the smouldering ruins lay around him, it is time to see some of the foundations of his new plan emerge from that rubble this season. The offence cannot get much worse, but there are reasons for optimism this year. So, like I say, Norvell saw his quarterback emerge into a legitimate starter, Uh, But to continue to grow, he needs the offensive line to reset completely and start again, and he has drastically changed things. So this was the offensive line that they were fielding in spring training. So the left tackle was Savion Henderson. He is a transfer from Lane College. They are a Division II school, not FCS. This is Division II. This is the rung below all that. That is their new left tackle from Lane College. The left guard is Oliver Jervis, a transfer from Monmouth, who are an FCS team. The centre is Jacob Gardner. He was the original centre for this team, but he was playing left tackle for them last year to cover injuries. But he is back in his normal slot. The right guard is Tavis Tuioti. He was playing on the defensive line last season. Um, And he's transitioned to right guard. He's one of the players who also came with Norvell from Nevada. And their new right tackle is Drew Moss, who is a transfer from Lamar. So you've got a Division II left tackle, um, two FCS linemen. Other than that, you've got a D lineman and a centre who was playing left tackle last season. That's kind of where they're at at the moment in time. Um, the FCS and Division 2 transfers they are all highly experienced I think most of them have played at least 20 games so the guys who are coming up have earned an opportunity at the next level he seems to be giving opportunities to these guys to make the step up rather than try and get power 5 cast offs whether that's um, wise or not remains to be seen leading Russia Avery Morrow is back after 834 yards on the ground last year but aside from the quarterback no other running back got more than 105 yards, so they need to find some depth to the room. They, again, have gone the Juco route. The Juco star Kenyard Edwards has made the jump up. Um, leading receiver Tory Horton is back, one of their few great players. He had 1,100 yards plus last season and eight touchdowns, so Millen does have a number one guy, just as Ross Simmons backed up with 400 yards and three touchdowns. But, again, after that, no other player had more than 120 receiving yards, so depth again needs to be found behind some of these legitimate playmakers. They snagged tight end Dallin Hooker out of the portal from BYU, and he figures to be a big part of this team moving forward. Didn't really get a chance there, but BYU make good, aggressive blocking tight ends who are, you know, good at receiving as well, sneakily so defensively given the circumstances they were pretty good although there are a lot of rebuilding teams in the Mountain West now so some of these stats for some of these teams may be padded a little the D-line has its monster Edge Mohamed Kamara who had 16 tackles for loss 8.5 sacks and 2 forced fumbles on the year but the next leading sack guy after him CJ Arniechi he had 3.5 sacks ran out of eligibility and no one else got more than like 2 sacks last year so again depth. The heart of the linebacker unit has been ripped out. DeQuan Jackson is in the NFL. Cameron Carter ran out of eligibility. Um, Drew Kulik and Chase Wilson are up next. They were rotation guys last season, so hopefully should be able to smooth transition to starter for the Rams. Safety room has two studs in Jack Howell and Henry Blackburn. The corner room has received reinforcements. In the form of two year Furman starter Dominic Morris, and then they've got Ron Hodge, the third in from Oregon State. He was a rotational guy there. There's there's a long way to go, but if they stay healthy, CSU do possess the playmakers to be a more competitive team, but the schedule is brutal. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but they have got like one guy at every position they can rely on to be really good. If, if they're not or they're injured, the depth just doesn't seem to be there right now and that could be a big issue for them this year outside of their few really good guys.
1: Yeah. I their their starters, they've got some decent starters, but behind them there is just nobody. Like I said, they've got no one to call upon. And a brand new offensive line after being the worst at quarterback in the nation. Like everyone say a little prayer for, for Millen, because that is not what you want to hear. I'd rather bring back the same offensive line, even though it did so badly, than go out and get a brand new one with guys that have all not played, like, apart from one, like, played the FPS level. So that is alarming. Like I said, it, it's they're going to have to get up to speed and work together really quickly, or it will go downhill fastly. So, yeah, the, there is talent on this team, but it's just not where they need it they would do better a stood offensive line and just having like no weapons they'd probably do just as well knowing they were protected so yeah, it's going to be an interesting year it's going to be a lot of improvisation I think he's going to have to work on the fly as his quarterback
0: yeah absolutely it, it, it is it is you, you've if you're fully healthy all year and your top playmakers absolutely ball the hell out you could win some good games this year but it just relies on too few guys when you've not got the depth there and the offensive line, who knows what is gonna come from that? It's just it's just so uncertain. The defence is probably gonna be pretty good. It might not rate as high as it did this year, but it should rate well enough to win your games if your offence can be at least decent. So yeah, it it's gonna be a tough year, but there is the potential for it to be good. But then we get to the schedule. So they don't play week zero. Their first game is at home to Washington State. That's power five opposition then they get the really rotten thing they get a week two bye which is rotten because you are going through to the end of the season there and after the bye you are away at Colorado which is another power five opposition that's that's Dion baby there then you're away at Middle Tennessee uh, then you get your FCS game at home to Utah Tech but then you're away at Utah State you're at home to Boise State you're away at UNLV at home to Air Force away to Wyoming you're home to San Diego State and Nevada then you finish away at Hawaii I mean, up until those last two games versus Nevada and at Hawaii you look at the FCS game as the only game where you're certain that they might win it outside of that, Washington State Colorado, you're away at UNLV, Wyoming, you've got the tough teams at home and the easier teams on the road, that's that's a rotten rotten, rotten, rotten schedule for them
1: yeah, they're not going to make it through unscathed. Eleven games on the bounce, either side of a Washington State game, which will be a blowout. It's it's very lopsided, and it seems very unfair. Like, I don't understand. I thought there were rules about bye weeks. How can you have a bye week, week two? Like that, no one should be having that, and then expected to play an entire season on the bounce. They're going to get injuries, like I said. The, the 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 fatigue will just pile up, eleven weeks in. So by the time they get to that final week of the game, whoever is remaining, whoever's left standing and can play well, fair play to them because it's, that is going to be a slog. And I I'm not going to set any expectations for them all. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's an away trip to Hawaii last week, so you've got you've got a several thousand mile trip, and although it's like you can finish your season out there, you know, have a margarita on the beach, it's it's tough in terms of having to go out there and play a game when you like, you say you're in 11 weeks in a row, so that does not bode well for them at all. The schedule, the player to watch, the wide receiver Tory Horton, 6'2", to 180 pounds, is their outside wide receiver. Was a shining light on a dark night last year for CSU's offense like I said he had a 1,100 yard season he had two thirds of Colorado's passing touchdowns with eight Um, he built off two years at Nevada steadily building up his resume he came across again with Norvell and had a breakout last year and Colorado State actually have a rep of producing top quality wide receivers in the 2010s you had guys like Rashard Higgins Michael Gallup Preston Smith so this is a team that can develop wide receivers to a high-end level, and he may be about to resurrect that line there. He could have declared last year he wanted to come back to college to finish his degree and help CSU try and do better than they did before. He works pump returns as well. He had a return touchdown last season against Wyoming. So he is really he is the do-it-all playmaker on this offense, and if that's going to come to life this year... He will be the guy who stands out like a bright shining star. So Torrey Horton is the guy to watch out for. There. Um, moving it on, we are with now the Fresno State Bulldogs. Established 1921. They play at the Bulldog Stadium. The 2021 season, they went 10 and 3. They were 6 and 2 in the Mountain West. 2022, they went 10 and 4. They're 7 and 1 in the Mountain West. They won the West Division. And they won the Mountain West. Yes, these are your Mountain West champions coming into the year. Can they avoid the fate of Utah State last year who completely crumbled after winning the whole thing? The rivalries are with Boise State, as we mentioned. Hawaii, the battle for the golden screwdriver. Um, San Diego State, the battle for the oil can. And then you've got San Jose State in there as well. So they play for some very... (laughs) <laughs> interesting trophies there the coach Jeff Tedford he is 61 this is his second season but it's his second stint as head coach with um, Fresno State He is an offensively minded coach started at Fresno State in 1992 as a quarterback coach and then OC then he moved to Oregon to do both those jobs there got his first head coaching job at Cal in 2002 They've not had a winning season there since 1993. In his first season, he went 7-5. and five. It was the nation's biggest turnaround, and he won Pac-10 Coach of the Year, because it was Pac-10 back then. Mm-hmm. His first eight seasons yielded all winning records, and he had five ball wins in six consecutive appearances. Um, it all tailed off in the end. He was fired in 2012, but he left Cal as the head coach who had the most ball wins with five, the most conference wins with 50, And the most games coached 140. And during his tenure, they produced 40 players for the draft, including eight players who were picked in the first round in just 11 seasons. Um, He moved to the NFL. He was offensive coordinator with the Buccaneers. But he had heart complications, which stopped him doing his job. And so he was released uh, from there. He then did a stint outside of mainstream football. He was head coach of the BC Lions in the uh, Canadian Football League. Uh, He came back to Washington in the FBS. He was an offensive consultant. Then Fresno State came in 2017. Uh, He took over a team that had won one game the previous season. He led them to 10 wins in year one, to 12 wins in year two. He had two division titles, and he won the Mountain West in year two as well year 3 went completely wrong he was 4-8 and eight, and then again he had to resign because of health reasons um, but he made his return to Fresno State after a few seasons out last year and despite an iffy 1-4 and four start he picked up right where he left off, he reeled off 9 straight wins resulting in a Western Division title a Mountain West Championship and an LA Bowl win against Power 5 opposition in his first year and just to put it into perspective they are the first team in FBS history to ever start a season 1 and 4 and end up with 10 wins it was quite the first season back he's picked up where he left off a Mountain West in his first stint and a Mountain West title in his second stint in his first year he's a uh, he's really good coach Jeff Tedford
1: yeah, he, he's done it all over he's done it here before and it wasn't easy because DeBoer, who left for Washington, had a really fantastic Fresno State team, and it was not an easy fact to follow. Now, this time around, like I say, there was the, the quarterback controversy. Like I say, he was lucky the quarterback returned to come back and help him. That's that's what delivered them. But yeah, he inherited a team that was primed and ready to to win a title. And it just needed someone that knew them well enough to get them there. And yeah, a very familiar face sometimes goes a long way. And yeah, bad start, a rotten start, but down the end it clicked. And in the end, yeah, like they, they won a close title game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, couldn't have asked for it really any better, and I think that's what we put last year. It was What was he going to do in his second stint? He, he over-exceeded expectations. Um, in terms of the 2022 record, the wins uh, are home to Cal Poly, San Jose State. They won away at New Mexico, at home to San Diego State and Hawaii away at UNLV and Nevada, at home to Wyoming, at Boise State in the championship game, and versus Washington State in the bowl game, as I said, power five scalp in the ball game. The losses, at home to Oregon State and away to USC, so that's two power five losses, at UConn, who were absolutely no slouches last year, and at Boise State, so it was on the road, um, where they sort of came unhinged a little bit. Uh, The 2022 stats, total offense, they were 53rd with 402 yards per game. Total defense, they were 31st, 338.9 yards per game. So steady on both sides of the ball. Scoring offense, 52nd, 30.6 points a game. Scoring defense was 14th in the nation. They gave up less than 20 points per game. It was just 19.4. The rushing offense was 92nd. The rushing defense was 66th. The passing offense, we all know it's going to be good, 27th overall, 270 yards per game, 22 touchdowns. The passing defense was 18th, just as good. Only gave up 189 yards per game and 14 touchdowns. In sacks, they were 72nd with 30. Tackles for loss, they were 64th with 81. Sacks allowed, they were 95th with 39. and tackles for loss allowed, they were 50th with 73. So a little bit of improvement to be had. Turnover margin, they were 45th. 18 turnovers gained, 14 turnovers lost. But overall, a solid team, built well on both sides of the ball, fairly, you know, it's what you need to win a championship. You just need a solid team across all bases and you can win a championship. And that's what he had last year.
1: They lost the teams that they were expected to lose, well, apart from UConn, which was uh, was a bit of a surprise at the time. But yeah, they beat everyone they had. They handled their business in conference and that's what you need to do and in the turnaround, yeah they avenged it and they, they, it does help when you've got a dynamic quarterback wide receiver combination like they did that's always a good platform to build off their passing offence the last couple of years has been very potent and that's that's pretty much what's carried their way yeah but they have a formula for winning games and it, it it delivered once again
0: yeah no absolutely it was a great first year there and you know won when you needed to and he's experienced, he's been there, he's done that and it showed. But moving on to twenty twenty three, like I said, Reigns are short lived in the Mountain West. Utah State crumbled to bits when they won theirs last season. What does the future hold for Fresno State? Can they stick together better? The quarterback next year, um name you might know, right? So they've transferred in Mikey keen This is his first season. He's at Fresno State he's 5'11", 180 pounds is the transfer from UCF where he has been for two seasons and has about 14 starts for them although he did play back up to John Reese Plumley last season career passing completion of 65 percent he has 2,397 passing yards 23 touchdowns and just seven interceptions doesn't run the ball much but He's likely to take the starting job from Logan Fife, who was Jake Hayner's backup. Obviously, Jake Hayner, fantastic quarterback who is now in the NFL. But, you know, I know you watch UCF a bit. Rice Plumley you've seen there. But Mikey keaton that's that's a good pickup to start to fill the void that Hayner's left behind.
1: Yeah, he was... I'd have liked them to bring in some more high profile. But, yeah, he was okay. He's a passing quarterback. He's a pocket passer. He's... He's small and he's slender, but so is Jake Hayner. Kind of like that same kind of build. So, yeah, they've gone with the quarterback that's got that arm and not necessarily the legs. So they've kind of gone for a like for like. Replacing what Hayner did is, yeah, that that no one's going to expect that. I think he just needs to come in and hold down the fort while they find their long-term guy. Because I don't think it's him, but he's going to be a placeholder
0: yeah you would you would figure that might be but you know we're still at least they're not going in with some untested you know young kid so i mean like they could just be a good guy to keep the ship steady but there are a lot of questions this year like i said so for the actual season preview when you're at the top everybody's is gunning for you and the question becomes do you have what it takes to defend your crown for the bulldogs it is going to be tough They are only going to be returning 52% of last year's production, so a lot of things are going to change for them. No more so than on offense, which has been gutted from the very top, so the offensive coordinator, Kirby Moore, he impressed so much he caught the attention of Missouri in the SEC, and he's now there as offensive coordinator. His replacement comes from in-house Former wide receivers, coach, and offensive pass game coordinator Pat McCann takes the job, but with Tedford being an offensively minded head coach, it remains to be seen whose influence builds this new offense, likely Tedford's. Um program altering QB Jake Hayner, as we've mentioned, is gone after three years and nine thousand passing yards, and they have got to adapt to life without him. keen is a good pickup who will give them a good chance of success, but there is likely to be a drop-off in the overall quality of the QB this year. The running back room has also lost its star player Jordan Mims. He is now in the NFL. He had 1,300-plus yards on the ground. He had 1,500 total yards with 19 touchdowns. Responsibility is now going to fall to Malik Sherrod. He had 428 yards as running back two last season and they've brought in Cal transfer Damian Moore. He has Power 5 experience, he has over 800 yards and 6 touchdowns, so they should have a good 1-2 setup to use in the receiver room, in the running back room, sorry, this year. The receiver room has been decimated, though. Six of the top seven pass, catcher, pass catchers are gone, including Jalen Moreno-Cropper, who had 1,086 yards on the season, and Nico Remigio, who had 852 yards and he was their returner as well. They are both fighting for NFL roster spots currently. Eric Brooks is the only returner of note with 391 yards and three touchdowns. For the most part, they have gone down the Juco route to replenish the room with four transfers from the junior college scene. But they have brought in experienced Power 5 receiver Jalen Gill from Boston College. He has over... 1,000 yards for the Eagles, but the prediction, the production they will get is is one of the big mysteries on this team. A lot of new guys there. Offensive line is relatively intact. It's bringing back 72% of last year's snaps, and though it needs to make improvements in pass pro, the experience factor will ensure that again it should be one of the league's better units. The uh, the defense is going through a lot less turnover, but has questions to answer. No more so than on the defensive line, which needs to come up with more quarterback pressures. 11.5 of their 30 sacks last season are out the door with David Pirelles, who is with the Pittsburgh Steelers now, as well as his 16 tackles for loss, two forced fumbles, five pass breakups as an edge. No other player on the team had more than two sacks. For reference, They they have their D-line anchor in Johnny Hudson. He's the £300 nose tackle there, but they need an upturn in production from the edge room or they could be in bother. Lavelle Bailey and Malachi Langley form a good linebacker duo for them to keep the engine running in the centre. Uh, the secondary has its star in corner Cam Lockridge. He's coming off a five-pick season. He'll look to keep up the takeaways in 2023. Safety room's in good, Nick 2. Despite the loss of key player Evan Williams, um, you've got Maurice Norris who's coming off a good season. They picked up Dean Clark in the transfer portal. He was a big emerging star at Kent State before he ruptured his Achilles last season. That halted his progress but he is fully healthy now. He has a new home and if he gets back to where he was he'll be a really good acquisition for them. It's a team that has flaws and a lot of change this year but The Mountain West riot is packed with a lot of rebuilding teams, so if you can be an above-average team, you can still be challenging for the title, but there is a lot of overturn for them to overcome this year.
1: Yeah, they've lost all their impact-makers on offence. Like I said, they're not going to replace Moreno, Cropper, or Nico. Like I said, their leading rush has gone to. You just can't replace that in one season. They're just a victim of their own success. They've been that successful that they're all gone. Realistically, if they're challenging for the title this year, that probably tells me that Mountain West this year is not very good. They should be good, but there's no way I think this team should be should be in contention to make a title game. It's going to take them a little while to reload because they just done, they just didn't have the depth that they knew when everyone left that so they'll probably have a down year. We're going to see how good the coaching is this year because he's working with a lot of unknown and talent that have had to draft in at short notice so they'll be okay but I don't think they'll be worrying the likes of Boise State
0: Yeah it it is a lot for them to overcome so it it depends but I mean maybe we didn't expect them to win it all last year and they did maybe they will surprise us once more the 2023 schedule for them um, don't play week zero start at Purdue obviously big 10 opposition then you're a home to eastern washington away to arizona state i believe our first mention on any schedule of ryan's team this year and they're at home to kent state and nevada then you're on the road to wyoming and utah state then you're home to unlv and more importantly at home to boise state then you're away at san jose state at home to new mexico and you finish off at san diego state there so i mean the Ken, you've got your sort of big challenges at home. You've got Boise State at home. You've got you and LV at home, who could be sneaky good there. I mean, it's a schedule that, if they do well, um, they you know again, it, it sets up nicely for them in terms of the conference. The non-con's a bit of a pain, but path is there.
1: Yeah, like I say, they're good at home. So they need to win all the home games. Oh, most of their losses last season were on the road probably need to try and replicate that this year. Like I say, try minimise the losses at home and try get as many wins as they can. Like I say, they've got... I expect them to beat the MAC teams, or they should be meeting Mac teams, like Kent State and Eastern Washington. If it, if at any point they're giving them trouble, then I will doubt them. But, yeah, it's not a bad start. Like I said, Purdue, interesting, like I say, because coming in with a, one of the highest one of the biggest transfer quarterbacks coming in. So this is it. I will be watching that game because everyone's expecting them to do pretty well. So it's a big test up for them first.
0: Oh yeah, I'm looking forward to the Hudson Card experiment there in Purdue. Um, I've got to ask, because it's the first time we've mentioned them on anyone's schedule, but how how do you fancy taking on Fresno State with the Arizona, Arizona State Sun Devils? You've got them at home. I mean... You, you fancy a winning this one? Yeah, having them at home don't really matter. Don't feel me much more confidence. <laughs> like, it's still scored by the eastern Michigan loss last year I'm at not, home. I'm not always sold in Arizona State doing anything this year. Like uh,
1: uh Jaden Richard is in, but I'm pretty sure he won't be the starter this year unless his injury. I think it's gonna be Trenton Borgia, who is okay, but yeah, we've got this big high for profile, like five star quarterback. He isn't ready and will he just enter the portal in a year? So, no, I'm not getting my hopes for expectations at all. Kenny Dillingham's a great coach, so at least offensive football should be fun to watch. Yeah, Fresno State will go there, and they will try and win. I think they can win, no
0: doubt whatsoever. Yeah, could could be one of the interesting ones to watch in the first few weeks. Yes, Ken, I did say turnover, then overturned. I got my words mixed up completely there, so you noticed that one. Damn it. Um, (laughs) the player to watch last year mentioned him briefly so the cornerback Cam Lockridge uh, very special this guy 6'1 183 pounds he was one of the many players in the mass exodus from Hawaii last year that we mentioned as the former regime was uh, burning down the house there I've given him the name Lockdown Lockridge because he got targeted 56 times last year he only gave up 23 receptions. He had five interceptions, seven pass breakups. He's got a nose for the ball. The coverage speaks for itself, and he has the ideal size at the next level for the position. He's one of the most draft ready players in the Mountain West already. He could have gone last year, and another season sort of locking down a corner for a championship contender will give his star some serious shine when we hit the path to the draft, so keep an ear out for the name Cam Lockridge it's one you will be hearing a lot this year right, we have two teams left to go and um, we are now, we're starting to hit the bottom of the barrel in terms of teams who are rebuilding, so first up we've got the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors um, established 1909 they play at the, uh, or they should be about to play at the new Aloha Stadium which they're having built um the 2021 season they were six and seven they were three and five in the mountain west 2022 the first year of their new head coach they went three and ten they went two and six in the mountain west but the regression was absolutely to be expected and i think three wins was more than we predicted for them last year so maybe overachieved Uh, The rivalries with Fresno State. They have one with Air Force. um, They play for the Kuta Trophy in that one. They have one with Wyoming. San Jose State. It's the Dick Tomey legacy game named after the famous coach Dick Tomey who died in 2019. He coached them both. And then UNLV. They sort of have a friendly rivalry with them. Um, Nevada's long been a popular destination for Hawaiians going on holiday. A lot of Nevadans and you know hawaiians they there's a big thing there with the whole travel thing so they put have a friendly rivalry they play for the golden pineapple um which is a very intriguing trophy it's literally a trophy of a pineapple um the is supposedly called the ninth island by some hawaiians so but yeah it's a friendly rivalry between those two the coach Timmy Chang this is his second season he is 41 He is one of the most respected people in the entire program in Hawaii. He played quarterback for Hawaii in college. He threw for over 17,000 yards for them in college, which is just incredible. He bounced around some NFL rosters, including our own Detroit Lions, in 2005 before going to the Canadian Football League, and then he went back to uni to finish his bachelor's. Started coaching as a grad assistant at SMU, before he had an OC and quarterback coach gig at Jackson State for a year in the FCS. Uh, went to be at OC at Emory and Henry before moving to Nevada. So he was inside wide receivers coach, then tight ends coach, then wide receiver coach under Jay Norvell. Initially when Jay Norvell left for Colorado State, Timmy Chang went with him. But then Hawaii approached about him becoming their head coach because their last head coach walked out quite late in the off-season. So um, he went back to a program which is you know right in his heart, as it were. Um, and at the time, he was brought into possibly the toughest assignment in college football, as I said. The former head coach, Todd Graham, left the program in a complete mess. And Hawaii... Turned to a beloved figure from their past to try and restore pride and competitiveness back to the programme. But it's going to take a long time. And when I mean he inherited a mess, his team had lost 17 starters, returned just 25% of the production of the bowl team from the year just gone. And it needed a complete culture reset as well after the Graham area, because everyone left because of the toxic culture at Hawaii. But I mean, year one was promising. They won against some of the other rebuilding Mountain West teams. And overall, they were competitive. They only lost by two to San Diego State, four to Colorado State, seven to Wyoming, seven to Utah State. So you won three games and lost four by less than a score. So for a roster that was literally demolished, it was a very brave showing. Now, year two, again, like Colorado State, you need to see the foundation being built this year. But I mean, given... The situation he was jettisoned into, that team, while on the stat sheet may have been bad, was a lot better maybe last year than it had any right to be.
1: Yeah, he went back there because i guess he felt like he owed it to them. Like he was doing them a favor, wasn't he? He Mm. was ready to take a new job and like they sent out an SOS and he answered. So he went there primarily at first, probably out of sentimentality. He'd hate to see them struggling, and the mess they were in. And yeah, like the record probably doesn't tell their whole tale of their season. There were chances to win some of those games. They did let some of those slip. Now this year, he's got to prove that he's also the guy that's able to help turn them around and not just the guy to hold the mantle while they find their new guy. He can't just be the placeholder. He's got to be someone that can improve the talent that's already there. they're spending millions of dollars to build a football stadium, and like Hawaii, is not. When you think of Hawaii, you don't think of football. You think like, what crowds are they going to generate? They, if they're spending all this money, and someone is pumping money into the state to improve football, the football's got to improve. Otherwise, like, you've got to come. Like I said, no one will go to that stadium if this team is winning two or three games a year, and it will just be a huge waste of money. So. To the state of Hawaii and, like I say, the players that stuck by him and stayed and didn't leave after Todd. Uh, they owe it to give something back this year and try and get to a bowl game again. Like I say, uh, the core is there. So he got something going with the core, a few additions. And, yeah, there's the makings of an average football team there.
0: Yeah, which after the state they were in last year, they would 100% have taken average this season so in terms of the 2022 season the results three home wins at home to duquesne nevada and unlv were actually a good team last year so props to them the losses at home to vanderbilt and western kentucky away at michigan new mexico state san diego state and colorado state at home to wyoming away at fresno state away at san jose state and at home to Utah State but as I say four of those were by just one score or less the stats line doesn't paint a nice picture for them but even then kind of it puts their achievement into even more incredulous light (laughs) given how bad they were the total offense was 104th 342 yards per game the total defense was 117th 438 yards per game on average they gave up The scoring offense was 115th, just 19.8 points per game. The scoring defense was even worse, 123rd, gave up 34.7 points a game. Rushing offense was 86th, the rushing defense was 126th. The passing offense was 99th, they had 205 yards per game, 13 touchdowns. The passing defense was 66th. 224 yards per game, 21 touchdowns given Mm -hmm. up. They were 127th in sacks with just 17, 125th in tackles for loss with just 54. But, sacks allowed, they were 38th, they only gave up 20 on the year, and tackles for loss allowed, they were 47th, they gave up 67. Uh, Turnover margin, they were 118th, um, gained 12 turnovers, they lost 20 turnovers. So, I mean, like, the fact that they were within one score of winning seven games last year even with those stats just shows how well they did they, wasn't, they weren't the best on paper but they fought incredibly hard and you know that's the minimum you can ask for in year one of a complete and utter rebuild
1: yeah statistically
0: it, it, it
1: makes for bad reading but then you look at it and you think well if a few things go their way if one or two things happen differently, they're a six win team. Yeah. And all I take from this is that the only issues really are they turn the ball over too many times and they don't get to the quarterback. Everything else was okay. It was just one or two categories where they really only let themselves down in that probably were the deciding factors in nearly all those losses. Like yeah. I said, if you're minus seven in turnovers across the season, that, yeah, you're going to lose games. But that's not, That's an easy thing to correct turning the ball on, catching the ball it can change in the flick of a switch so yeah they were they were grinding, they were fighting and they were trying to overcome a lot better than the stats were showing so yeah they they, they play hard and even though they're not stacked with talent, they they don't give up
0: No, no, like I said that's, that's year one, that's what you want to see now going into year two you want to see just how legit the improvement can be. Is this uh, is this program now on an upward curve? So the quarterback is Braden Shager. He is 6'3", 215 pounds. It's his third season at Hawaii. He was back up year one, and then he took over the reins as starter for year one of the Chang era. Uh, he wasn't put in a good position, but he did fairly well. 2,348 yards on 55% passing. 13 touchdowns. 10 interceptions however seven of them came in a two-game period early in the season so overall he wasn't too bad in ball security in the air outside of a couple of really bad games didn't rush much just 147 yards on the ground but he did fumble it five times so the quarterback does need to work on the turnovers this year but like ryan said it's manageable if it's trained out of here but He's got a year of starts under his belt, which is going to help going into year two. And he finished twenty twenty two strong on a roll. He had five straight two hundred plus yard passing games, as you just began to see Chang's pass happy offense style start to emerge there. I mean, it's it's not spectacular numbers, right? But a lot of these rebuilding teams, the things they don't have are a stable quarterback. This is a guy who's been in the program a while now. He's got a year as a starter. Had a couple of nervy games where he threw a lot of picks, but outside of that, it that's decent enough. That is a building block to work on this year. Yeah, you
1: should see a vast improvement across the team and the quarterback because I expect by now he's probably learned something. He's probably watched what he did last year and yeah. he's not going to do it again. Ball security should be better. I see If he was accountable for 15 turnovers and they lost 20 of them, so nearly 78 percent of turnovers last year were on the quarterback i expect him this year to go out there and make it his mission to not be that guy i said so yeah if the quarterback cuts down on the turnovers we've seen that this team come in a lot of games because they were so close
0: yeah yeah absolutely expect improvement from shaker this year so the season preview in general So, as we mentioned, Chang has a full rebuild on his hands in Hawaii. Year 1 will have changed very little in the grand scheme of things, but there are reasons for optimism in Year 2. Most notably, he gets over 60% of his team back this year, not the 25% that he had to deal with Year 1. So, more guys spending time in the system, gaining experience goes a long way. And in a further encouraging note while looking through this, the talent that they've lost this year... It's mainly due to the draft and eligibility issues. He's not losing them to the portal. That's huge, because if you're not losing guys to the portal, it shows that the culture you're setting is good and they don't want to leave. But what he has lost does leave him with some big questions to answer. So on offense, like I say, the quarterback he's got, which is his main domino, but the protection in front has diminished. The offensive line that was surprisingly good at dealing with pressure last year has lost three starters. So the left tackle, Il Manning, is with the San Francisco 49ers. The right guard, Mika Vantapool. He's still looking for an NFL team, but he he did come through the draft. But you do have building blocks. So the centre, Eliki Tanavasa, enters his third year as a starter. He's an ever-improving lineman. He excels in pass protection. Uh, they hit the transfer portal for huge Houston guard Joshua Atkins. He's about six foot four. He comes in looking for opportunity. So the building blocks are there to put out a unit who can once again keep the quarterback upright. Leading rusher Dedrick Parson is done after a one thousand plus yard scrimmage season, uh, but that was eligibility issues. But Tylen Hines and Nazaree Bryant, who were running back two and running back three. They've been promoted to running back one and two, so and they had good they had good stats last year. So the backfield has promise if the line can give them protection. They do need passing threats to emerge out of the receiver call, though, for this offense to truly work. Lead receiver Zion Bowens, he's done eligibility. Tight end Caleb Phillips, who was second in receiving yards, done due to eligibility. They've got to find answers quickly. They did get Stephen McBride out of the portal from Kansas he's been on the periphery of that new very potent Jayhawks offense centered around Jaden Daniels Uh, yeah he's Jaden Daniels and he comes looking for a chance in the spotlight and it's there for him if he wants it so there are pieces of optimism there defensively they have hit the portal hard to solve their most pressing needs the biggest being, as Ryan mentioned, the complete lack of quarterback pressures. The defensive line has been given particular attention. So again, they've got a returning building block. So you've got Jonah Kahahawai Welch. He had seven and a half tackles for the last two sacks last year. I think it was his first year as a starter. So you've got that there. So the portal, you've got in Kao Peopa from Washington. They produce excellent defensive talent from there you've got Elijah Robinson who's come from East Carolina Joshua Jerome who's transferred up from the FCS with Eastern Washington he was a four-year starter there and he has posted elite run defense numbers his entire career including his freshman year as a starter which is exactly what the Rainbow Warriors need they've plucked a 340 pound nose t- 340 Pound nose tackle out of Juco by the name of Daniel Williams. And then they've also gotten the outside linebacker Edge hybrid Patrick Hisatake from California to beef up the pass rush. He has power five experience. So they've really gone to try and fix that issue. Logan Taylor and Isaiah Tufaga, they're the linebackers there. They graded poorly last year, but they've beefed up in the offseason. They at least form an experienced pairing in the centre of that Hawaii defence. The secondary contains some really good players who just need help from the D-line, so Chang actually landed one of his biggest transfer portal wins. He got starting cornerback Cam Stone from Wyoming, so that's an in-conference get. For a starter, he will be an instant cornerstone in this Warriors defense. Verdell Edwards will line up opposite him. He's coming off a three-pick season as he looks to build on a fine first season. And at safety, there was a huge breakthrough last year. So true freshman Peter Manuma emerged as a quality starter. He graded at 80 in his first ever game, and it was against Vanderbilt, to They are an SEC team. People might laugh at the quality, but they are still an SEC team. (laughs) In your first ever game in college football, he graded over 80. He had two forced fumbles, three picks, about five, six passes defended on the season. It marked the start of a very promising career. So, I mean, it's still very much a work in progress, but they have, you know, they're emerging, they're developing young talent and where they're struggling, they have really gone to town to try and find as many options as they can to fix that pass rush issue. There's there's reasons for optimism here, Ryan.
1: Yeah, they've brought in a lot of reinforcement. Let's say, you, in the state of Hawaii, you can only rely so much on local talent in the world of football because a lot of the, uh, let's say... Pacific, Polynesian, Hawaiians, their best players go to Pac-12. A lot of them do. They don't stay in state. It's hard to keep them. So when they go out and then they bring them back or they bring them in as transfers, every little helps. Like I said, they've got some talent offense. They've gone out and brought some experienced guys on defense. I said, Chang is a likable guy. He knows Hawaii. He knows the people. He knows their football. He couldn't ask for a real better head coach. These are the candidate for the zero to hero. If you're looking for a team that's going to go win the most games compared to 2022, it's probably going to be Hawaii. Mm. There is no reason why they shouldn't. So we're just going to see now how well coaching, how well can they get these guys to gel quickly enough to form a a defensive unit. Yeah, there there is a lot of reason for optimism.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the schedule, It gives them opportunity this year. I mean, the non-con is rotten, but at least it will sort of trial by fire this new team they've got. So the schedule, they do play Week 0 because of... We'll talk about Week 0 when we get to it, but it's specifically built around Hawaii Week 0, is they are away at Vanderbilt, so it's the return game this year. So SEC opposition first up, then they're at home to Stanford, who are Power 5 opposition... Then you're at home to Albany, which is your FCS opposition. Then you're away at Oregon, so another Pac-12 one. Then you're at home to New Mexico State. Then you start your conference games. You're away at UNLV. Um, at home to San Diego State. Away at New Mexico. At home to San Jose State. Away at Nevada. At home to Air Force. Away at Wyoming. And at home to Colorado mm-hmm. State there. I mean, that the non-con's going to produce some big results, but trial by fire. You get some through some of those games, you put in some good performances, you will set yourself up for your conference schedule eventually, and you'll get some big paydays out of it as well.
1: Yeah, the non-con is just for money. The non-con games, TV, TV rights. Like I say, they'll, you can chalk them up as losses. But like I say, their, their out last year was in, in conference, what, they're three and six. Yeah, that's bad where they need to improve this year is in conference the out-of-conference games if they get blown out every week it won't matter in the grand scheme of things if they win five games in conference their season will be a success so yeah Stanford just got in a brand new like a great quarterback will roll over them bonix going to draft will dunk on them Vanderbilt will probably make hard work of it but probably edge them but it's not terrible, like you say if I was if Oregon, like, well, you go into week two and like your loan confidence. Vanderbilt won't, they're not going to slap them about. Like, say, Hawaii will hang about there and they will be able to make some plays. But yeah, once you get rid of those first three or four games, their season really starts. Yeah. Like I said, after Oregon, like I said, then they're really focused on doing what they can in conference.
0: Yeah, I mean, and the bye sits well, so they only actually the bye comes in one, two, one, two, three, four, five, week six. They only have one conference game before the bye, so you can sort of have that big non-con run, take your bumps and bruises, have one conference game, have your week off, get right, get ready, and then go go beat your conference opponents. So again, it sort of sets up well for them to give them an opportunity to go out there fresh faced. And battle-hardened after that Rotten non-con schedule there. Uh, the player to watch on this team, I don't think I've ever done a centre before. This is a new thing for this, but yeah. The centre, Eliki Tanavasa, I mentioned. He's 6'2", 300 pounds. Uh, he's, the two years, he's a two-year starter at centre for them. He's given up just two sacks and one quarterback hit on 618 pass-blocking snaps. He is a team captain who leads, by example, on and off the field. And if this passing game is going to take off this year, they will need him to be at his very best. He likely will be. He's also played significant snaps at right guard as well. So positional versatility on the line. And a really good season. May see him being in with a shout to be the first Hawaii draft pick since 2020. But we don't talk about Hawaii draft picks as Detroit Lions fans because... Jelani Tavai happened, and we never want to remember that happening ever again. But, yeah, Eliki Tanavasa, one of the better O-linemen in this conference, and at centre he's going to have, I think, a really great year. And then our final team for the evening to round out the first half of the Mountain West, the Nevada Wolfpack, um, established 1896. They play at the McKay Stadium 2021 season they went 8 and 5 they were 5 and 3 in the Mountain West but then 2022 we knew they were going to regress they went 2 and 10 and they got swept in the Mountain West they were 0 and 8 in conference it was bad Um, The rivalries are with Boise State and then of course the in-state rivalry with UNLV called the Battle for Nevada where they fight over the Fremont Cannon which is a 19th century howitzer which they use as the trophy for that one. This is a very fierce rivalry specifically because the two stadiums in question are two of the rare stadiums that sell alcohol on game days so... The fans are juiced up. The players are juiced up. This is a very heated rivalry here between Nevada and UNLV. Head coach is Ken Wilson. He is 59. This is his second season. He is a defensive guy. He spent 19 seasons with Nevada between 1989, the year I was born, And 2012, he sort of had a little break in the middle, but he's been D-end, offensive linebacker, linebacker, and safety coach, as well as long-time assistant head coach. Uh, He moved to Washington State as linebacker coach for six years, then to Oregon, first as the linebacker coach, then a co-DC. Similar to Hawaii, um, Nevada were left in a mess by the previous head coach, Juan Jane Norvell, who upped and left Colorado State were mentioned and took half the team with him. And in a similar response, they chose to go with someone who was heavily respected by the program but with no head coach experience to sort it out, as opposed to a more experienced option. He inherited a team that, in total, had lost over 11,500 snaps to the draft and the transfer portal, and he only got 30% of the production returning from the 8-win team of 2021. I mean, things initially started well. They went 2-0 and in their non-con openers, but then they got absolutely pasted at home by Incarnate Ward, the FCS side. That was a fun game last year, and that preceded a 10-game losing streak where a lot of the problems of this team were laid bare, but again you saw parts of this team start to form last year but it's just such a hopeless situation that it's going to take so long to fix this is similar to Hawaii Ryan a, a much beloved coach who has been called upon for duty once more by a team in the mire. he's not had the instant success that Chang has and it remains to be seen if he can do this long term but I mean he was on a hide into nothing last year so you can chalk year one up to literally it <laughs> was in no man's land
1: yeah, you couldn't write last year off. Everyone knew they were going to be terrible because basically they were putting a bandage on their bloody femoral artery that's been gashed. They were never going to stem the floor. Jane Norville fucked off, had the nerve to t- take some coaches and then came back with some of their players and left them in the mire. Yeah, it was really just a damage limitation. And the fact that they won two games and then got their ass whooped well, for 10 weeks. It was probably the best case scenario. Yeah, it, it was bad, but none was expected. No Nevada fan was was actually surprised what happened last year. If you were, well, I don't know what you were expecting. I mean, it, it's gonna be a lot harder to fix than Hawaii, but only because they were inherited you know, a team that was on and off the field in a total mess. So yeah, they went with the good old reliable.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. And sometimes you have to, if you want to try and stabilize the culture, stabilize the program, get someone in who has him, who has the team at his very heart, and that's that's who he is. So the twenty twenty two record, the wins away at New Mexico State and at home to Texas State, and then after that it was losses all along the board at home to Incarnate Word. Away at Iowa and Air Force, at home to Colorado State, away to Hawaii, at home to San Diego State, away at San Jose State, at home to Boise and Fresno State, and then away at UNLV. The stats from the year, the total offense was 123rd, 304 yards per game. The total defense, 81st. Not bad. 396 yards per game there. The scoring offense was 120th. They scored just 18.8 points per game on average. The scoring defense was 103rd. They gave up 31 points per game. The rushing offense was 105th. The rushing defense was 85th. The passing offense was 103rd and the passing defense was 75th. So the defense really wasn't that bad. They were 55th in sacks with 27. They were 44th in tackles for loss which was 70 with 76 overall. But sacks allowed, they were 96th with 34. And tackles for loss allowed, they were 123rd with 96. The turnover margin, they were 53rd. So the game 19, they lost 17. Um, positive on defense. You know, but pretty good. Year one, considering you've lost a lot of your talent. It's it's the offense that needs fixing here. But, I mean, you lost Carson Strong, you lost Cole Turner, you lost so many big guys, and then you lost all your backups. That was kind of to be expected year one. And, again, can be forgiven. Yeah,
1: their defense was the only saving grace. Their defense kept things modest and respectable. Like I said, without that defense, they would have got they'd have been losing by thirty-five points every week, and it would have just been embarrassing. But yeah, they didn't have any offensive players that were able to learn the playbook and scheme quick enough. Like I said they were they were throwing in guys that were like third stringers and second stringers that were not expected to start and were not confident with what they were supposed to do on the day. So, yeah, the offense did not click in any phase whatsoever, and it did not generate anything. Even in the wins, it was probably one of of the least convincing offense play you'll ever see. Yeah, Yeah, the defense literally, like, they deserve a medal for what they did last year because they were on the field a lot.
0: Yeah, and they they took their lumps along the way. I do remember the Nevada incarnate word game. It was a terrific game. It was a it was a slugfest. They were just firing shots at one another all game. But that was when you knew that sort of the depth of the problems there. That they just came in and dropped over fifty on them. It was it was tough. But you know, hope springs eternal. And year two, what is it going to bring? So the quarterback this year undecided. So last year's state starter Nate Cox is gone. In his place is a A four-way battle is said, but I think it's more two. So you've got Shane Illingworth, who was the Oregon State transfer. He was actually the guy who I said was going to start for them last year, but he didn't. He saw backup snaps for Nevada last season. But then you've got in Colorado transfer, Brandon Lewis. He was the Buffalo starter in 2021. He went back to rotation last year, and he is one of the many who exited the program when Shadur Sanders arrived cuz they just were not getting in the team in front of him but i mean Brandon Lewis could be intriguing here i mean you'll have seen him playing in Pac 12 he was pretty good in his one year but it just just never worked at colorado maybe this is the place where he can make it work especially you know in an offense that likes to be pass happy plays to his strengths
1: yeah it's going to be a redemption story for him like say buffalo yeah it was all right colorado he was there, but then everyone came in, and he was forced out. I said he didn't really have much choice when all the turmoil was going on. And fun fact: Nate Cox is now the quarterback for the Prague Lions in the oh. European League of Football. He's now playing professional football in Europe. So he's the he's the tallest quarterback in European League history, about six foot eight. That's what I'm out. But be. Yeah, their the quarterback has got potential. Like he's got experience. Like Buffalo are not a bad team at all. He's been in the Pac-12. He's been in a an environment of like a, a power five school. So yeah, he he's bringing with him a wealth of knowledge. And yeah, in an offense that will probably want to throw the ball. So I expect him to be a solid veteran that can help the people around him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you would hope so. It's hopefully a building block that they can sort of create something from this year. Um, so, yeah, it's still an open battle, but I would expect Brandon Lewis to win that one there. So the season preview, Ken Wilson's had his throwaway year now, dealing with Norvell's departure now. After a full season, getting your own recruits, your guys from the portal, you've got to start pulling yourself up the rankings. You've got to start establishing a core to build around, like Hawaii are doing on offense The first thing he needs to do is sort out the QB situation, but you've got two guys with Power Five experience to choose from, which is you know a place to start. The running back room sports new faces, so star running back Towa Tower, he's gone. He's looking for a shot in the NFL, and again the Wolfpack have raided the Pac-12 for their replacements. He's got the money man Sean Dollars, who has a terrific name coming in from Oregon. You've got Ashton Hayes coming from Cal. They will both slot into the rotation there. Um, they also, and I love this guy, they've got six, six two 230-pound tight end Kaliki Latu as well out of the portal, not related to Cameron, who's just come out of Alabama. But he'll be looking to follow the path of, of Cole Turner, who got drafted out of Nevada. Nevada love they're big, athletic, blocking tight ends who can catch as well, and he might be the next guy there. Leading receiver BJ Castile is done, but three of the other top four receiving options are back, and with Latu in the room, whoever ends up at quarterback has a good set of weapons at his disposal. The biggest issue comes on the offensive line that was bad last year, and they've not gone to the portal for help. Instead, they've gone the Juco route. So they've got three new arrivals from Juco, two of whom are former three-star prospects, but it is still a risk to go with the same guys and Juco transfers, so who knows how that one will work out. The defence, well going to be the stronger unit once more. The defensive line has lost its star long-term edge, Don Peterson. He's been the guy there for years, but Drew, Ro- Drew Watts is ready to step into that void and take over. They just need to find some depth to complement him. Oregon was the source of a brand new linebacking core for the Wolfpack. They bought in Adrian Jackson and Jackson Leduque, both coming in from the Ducks. They joined incumbent Naki Matalona, who is coming off a great first season as starter. Secondary was decent last year. Saw the emergence of a great corner pairing. You've got Jaden Dedman and Isaiah Esesima. They have been supplemented by Eastern Washington transfer Trey Weed. He was a four-year starter he's coming to beef up the depth there but again like with these guys they they have players to work around they've they've gone heavy into the pack 12 for these guys and you know some of them work some of them don't but they're getting busy they're trying to fix their big problems again and again they've got some positive players coming in they've
1: got some big name players i know sean dollars very well He was a good rotational piece behind uh, Die, the Oregon running back. So, Sean Dollars was a good recruit when Oregon got him. It didn't pan out there, but, yeah, he's coming here to try be a a bigger fish in a smaller pond. So, going to the Pac-12 to bring in recruits is never a bad thing. So, yeah, the offensive line, like I said, I did say sometimes keeping a line and trying to improve it is better than bringing in an entire one. But we're going to see if that is the case because they've decided to just try fix what they've got and not bringing too many to try and disrupt it so we're going to see but yeah like last year this team got the benefit of the doubt they're not going to get that this year like I said they've had their bad year get it out of your system and like I said we've listed players that have got proper power five experience they're not bringing in kids like I said they're bringing in guys that are in their second and third and fourth years of eligibility so yeah they've gone out there and they've done their due diligence of bringing in some recruits so you expect whoever wins the starting job as quarterback they've got weapons so they don't really have any excuse to not now produce so yeah, I can't say how big a jump they'll make but I'd like to think they can't be as bad as last year I don't see how
0: they can be bad as last year No no, not at all you, you would kind of hope that they got a lot of the bad out of the system and then the continent, but someone has to be bad this year. <laughs> this, this conference, I mean, it'll be New Mexico. We all know it'll be New Mexico, but someone else probably has to be bad as well. But Hopefully not Nevada. The schedule, again, the non-con is just rough, so they don't play Week Zero. First game of the season, they are away to USC and potential number one pick in the next draft, Caleb Williams. That is a fun road trip for them. Then they're at home to Idaho and Kansas, so... Another great quarterback coming in week three there. Away at Texas State and Fresno State. Then you're at home to UNLV. You're away at San Diego State. You're at home to New Mexico and Hawaii. Then you're away at Utah State. Away at Colorado State. At home to Wyoming. I mean, if if you can get your foundations in place early this year. I mean, New Mexico and Hawaii at home are eminently winnable games. And you're going away to Utah State who just fell to bits last year. Colorado State, who are also rebuilding, and they owe payment to for last year's defeat. And, I mean, Wyoming are a bit meh. You got UNLV at home. It's, again, set yourself up. You could win four or five games next year and show legitimate progress, but you've got to win those games, though, at home against New Mexico and Hawaii.
1: Yeah, they're must win. If you want to prove you're not the worst team in this division they must beat Hawaii. Like I say, it, it, it is must win. Like I say, because the, the start is going to be rough. Like I say, like USC, some some bigger Power 5 schools, like I say, they're, they're, they're going to potentially like roll over you and take a bit out of you. But then, yeah, you've got to take the low hanging fruit. The teams that you know are also rebuilding are in roughly the same position as you. They're the teams you've got to beat if you don't want to finish on the basement. So, yeah, that, that Hawaii game will be one they've scheduled as we need to win. Like I said, Texas State, they're playing a team as well. They beat last year. Texas State must win. Like I said, if you beat them last year when you were terrible, you can't lose to them this year because then, like, what have you gained? What have you learned? So, yeah, there are definitely four or five winnable games there. But, yeah, they've got to capitalize on them. Like I said, Forget the bad games, forget the games we're going to have blown out. They're then, then of no relevance to their season.
0: No. And, that, and again, matchup wise it works, because a lot of those teams I've seen early on are passing teams, and their passing defence was, it's the strength of this team. So if you can take the run away from them and get these guys passing, there are opportunities there for them to win a few games. I don't think it's bowl territory for them just yet, but I think you're getting well on your way to bowl territory. If he can, four or five wins would be a good year for them. The player to watch on this team, outside linebacker Drew Watts, six foot, 200 pounds. We love our tough as nails, destructive edge rushers in the Mountain West. Watts is primed to break out. He had a great first season as a sophomore, although he was basically a freshman. He didn't play in his first year. Three sacks, 14 quarterback freshers, 57 tackles, 35 run stops and an interception marked a good first year he had nine tackles for loss but he registered at least one tackle for loss in seven straight games which i'm pretty sure is a record for nevada he might be a little undersized for the position but i've actually listened to some of his interviews the way he speaks what it means he he trains harder he studies his opponents a lot harder to find the weakness and exploit them and that's why the production is consistent week to week with him he's a guy i've Gotten fond of very quickly. So the outside linebacker Drew Watts is the guy to watch at Nevada. And with that, that wraps up the first half of our look at the Mountain West. Um, so it's interesting, Rye. I mean, when we did the Sun belt the other week, we, we kind of know what a lot of teams in the Sunbelt are and you know, there's there's not so much uncertainty with them. We know who's gonna be competing, we know who's not gonna be so great, but what the Mountain West has taught me so far is that I don't know what outside of Boise, I don't know what any of these teams are doing this year. It's just the way they're in, the stages of various rebuilds and stuff. This is about as unpredictable as a conference as you might find this year.
1: Yeah. They're just scrapping for wins at wins out there. If you if you look like Boise and Fresno State on a pedestal, every other team we've named well, other than Air Force, I say so three teams that expect to be in contention, but one of them will ultimately let us down they always do, and then three teams that are just gonna, like I say, are scrapping for every point, for every in conference win they can get. Like I said, they could win anywhere between three games and seven games. Impossible, like I said. They're, some of them are in stable head coaching situations. Some of them are uh, have gone through turmoil, huge player turnover. Uh, they're, they're, they're really they're the unknown entity. Like I say, like of Hawaii, uh, like I say, Colorado State, you really don't know what you're going to get week to week. Like I said, they'll, they'll, they'll destroy one's team next week and then the week after. They'll get their ass handed to them, and at least one of these three teams will probably cause an FBS upset, like a Power Five upset. You will get one from them, and you you just will not be able to call it.
0: Oh, absolutely! You yeah. know, these are teams you don't really want to face. The ones at the top, there are a lot of them you just do not want to face. These teams because they will come and they will give you a really hard game. Let's say with Air Force, their their non-con schedule is, you know, their non-con results are so good, so. Yeah, I, I'm interested. I'm I, I'm pretty certain that, you know, like with the sunbelt we, we found it impossible to name who might get to the championship game. In this, I'm already a lot more confident. There are a few more contenders maybe next week, but I think we've seen the better teams in this conference this week. So we will we will wait and see with that one and we'll give our final predictions on that next time out um, but yeah thank you to everyone who has, has joined the first half of the Mountain West preview this week we really appreciate you as always on Twitch and Twitter and as I want to say thanks to if any of them are listening to the fans of some of these teams who have been getting in touch with us saying they've enjoyed these they like say we've had guys from Marshall App State saying that these reviews have been really good so we do appreciate that hope you've all learned a little bit from them this evening um, just need to go through all the housekeeping stuff if there's any questions people have quickly before we go off there, then just whack them in the chat now so the next shows, uh the main podcast we will be back uh, obviously the Monday just coming I have completely forgotten what next week's show is about it's probably going to be training camp stuff again so join us for that because there will be a lot going on there uh, don't forget me and Matt and maybe others will be back at the weekend with our rookie tape reviews we will be looking At the Iowa pairing, tight end Sam Laporta first and then linebacker Jack Campbell. And then me and Brian will be back in a week, as always, with the College Pod. We will be finishing off our Mountain West preview there. Um, And that is everything in terms of the next shows. Um, Brent says, Wi-Fi was down for a few. Your prediction for Hawaii, bowl game, question mark. Can they do it this year or is it a year too soon? Mm -hmm.
1: I'll say it over under's about
0: five and a half.
1: They'll, they'll. they'll problem is though, like they probably no, they won't make a bowl game because I reckon they'll probably have too many FCS wins. Cause they, I think they've got an FCS. If, I think that's what'll hold them back. They might get six wins but not get selected for a bowl game.
0: I think it's Albany they've got at home. So yeah, yeah. the Albany
1: game I think will hold them back. They won't win enough FBS games.
0: I would like to say yes, Brent, but I just can't this year. I think year two is a bit too... I think year three, they can certainly make a bowl game, but this year might just be a bit too much. But it depends. If you can... Nevadas, Hawaii's, New Mexico's, all these teams are just trying to beat each other around them. If you can sweep all those other teams who are around you at the bottom, you can make a bowl game, but invariably they all take wins off one another, which is the only thing that holds them back. So I'll say no, but I'll be delighted if they do right... Thank you again all this evening. Let me just tell you where you can find us. So you can find us all over the web. So on YouTube, Roar of the Lions UK. On Twitch, R-O-T-L underscore UK. Our Facebook page is Roar of the Lions UK. And our Facebook group is Detroit Lions Fans UK. One Pride Worldwide. On Twitter, you can find us at R-O-T-L underscore UK. And the same on Instagram. And we have a website, www.roarofthelionsuk.com. You can find us there. Just remains for me to thank Ryan and Hank as always. Hope you have a great rest of the week. Enjoy training camp as it keeps on evolving and we shall see you all again very soon. For now, it just remains for me to say, One Pride.